Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear Q- QA podcast number 258. I want to uh, tell you guys a little announcement. Something interesting happened to me this week. Sometimes I spend some time and I get to like check into, you know, YouTube and I go into YouTube and I kind of check things out and learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, what YouTube does, you know, your analytics, you know, you always learn something. And this week I learned something was about, well, I was a little, Actually, it was like last Saturday that I could filter. Um, uh, basically, I could filter members and I could filter subscribers' uh, comments and set them up in my feed. So uh, now, when I have my phone or when I'm at my computer, which mostly is going to be my phone, um, when I see comments, I I knew I could set it up all kinds of stuff like have I responded, unresponded. But I now have set it up to where if you're a subscriber or a member. I see your comment, and I don't see any other comments. Doesn't affect anyone else. Uh, you guys all see everything normal. Um, but the reason I'm telling you guys this is you might have seen where all of a sudden I'm real active in the community in the last week, especially uh, doing tons of responses, tons of answers to questions, tons, tons of those like heart things to let you know I read your comment. That's what I'm doing is, uh, man, did it really suck down <laughs> the the comments? It just made them like... Now I, I feel like it's just hundreds of comments and not thousands. So I, I'm like, I'm out. I mean, might as well. I could take, I could take 15, 20 minutes when I have free time or an hour for free time and just sit there and, and have a good time talking to everybody. And what I've learned is if you're a member uh, or, or a subscriber, what I've learned is the comment or the question is more interesting anyways. So not to take away from anybody from that's not a subscriber. I'm just saying that's what I've learned is that a lot of them per capita, they're more interesting or more, I want to say more interesting, more on subject. Um, a lot of comments, uh, it's not, you know, a lot of people talk about troll comments all the time. I know that's a thing on YouTube. My issue with comments sometimes is they're so off subject. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> like it's a guitar channel and they'll be talking about something else. And, uh, my joke in my house is, uh, is, uh, sometimes I'm like, do you think people go on like the news networks on YouTube and type like strats are better than Les Pauls? Cause that's how I feel. Sometimes the guys, a lot of political comments and stuff in a guitar video uh and and not just political but all kinds of weird stuff and i'm like what does that have to do with guitar i wonder if they just go to other other channels that aren't about guitar and just like strats rule gibson's drool <laughs> you know the reason the gibson's <laughs> i don't know i don't want to i don't want to keep down this road i just want to let you know all that stuff um so first as always i want to thank the early risers for coming early and leaving comments i'll be talking uh about some of those comments and questions um See, I see some of your guys' comments now. I don't want to get too off track. I don't want to get off track. That's what happens. Sometimes the show goes off the rails too soon. We got to wait until at least we're in the show a little bit before we go off the rails. Um, I want to. I want to answer this question. This is not just. This is an eleven days ago question. This came in, and uh, it came in from obviously before last week's show. And it's from Mojo Hand. It says, Phil, I love the channel, but I'm still waiting to hear, because he asked a while back, I'm waiting to hear uh, why last week you said you'd never review another Harley Benton guitar. So he's, uh, or they are talking about uh, when I uh, talked about the uh, uh, the boycotting Harley Benton subject that was up that week. In there, I talked about the fact that I had reviewed... Um, three Harley Benton products on the channel and that I wouldn't be reviewing anymore. 
and uh, and I didn't say anything else. Uh, I don't want to Im- imply something negative. Obviously, I like the Harley Benton products. That's not the question. The issue was, and I, I think I've discussed this, so I apologize if I didn't. When uh, Harley Benton, which is obviously Toman, uh, came to me and said, would you be interested in reviewing a Harley Benton? I do this a lot when the gear is very inexpensive, okay? Um, it's real common. You've heard me talk about it with... Uh, Mitchell guitars, you've heard me talk about it with Glary guitars. A lot of times when we're talking about gear that's not very expensive, and what I mean by that is, you know, obviously if a guitar sells for $300 street price, maybe they're into it for $150, and they send it out and they get a video. You can understand whether they get a video with 3,000 views or a video with 100,000 views. The dividend of that video far exceeds any kind of financial loss or financial payout of $150 worth of product. Um, not only is it just advertising cost to them because they send it out to a, a channel, uh, it's not even, well, it's that, but it means it's not even a very expensive uh, endeavor for them. So there's a lot of benefit. In fact, I'd like to point out that I'm happy to do what I do uh, as a channel, but the benefit is never in, in my opinion, it's never in my favor when it comes to a company, or very rarely. I shouldn't say never, never say never. Um, so what I'm trying to say is, so Harley Benton was like any of the other companies like that. And I said, great, let's do, uh, let's do a couple products. And I said, let's send me an acoustic, send me an electric guitar, um, send me a, uh, a, 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 a the cabinet. Cause I knew the cabinet was going to be very exciting. Uh, and I said, uh, send me another guitar. What else? It was five things. Okay. Five things I, I asked for. And what happened was when it got here, uh, two of them were damaged. Uh, one of them was the most interesting thing that I was I was interested in, which is their copy of a Paul Reed Smith SE guitar because it is a fraction of what the SE guitars cost. And again, I like I said I apologize if I told this story before. Um, what happened was that neck was broken, and so I re- I reached out to them. I said, "Hey, the neck on this guitar is broken. The other the bass guitar was damaged. Can we get these replaced?" And there was no interest to replace them. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so what do I do with them? And I, and so that's why I'm saying this has nothing to do with them. This is on me. I decided to fix the neck on that guitar. So I repaired the neck. Um, it, obviously, I did the labor. But I hate to say, like, that's not free to me. That's my time. And that's all I worked to, to, to do on a guitar that I think that guitar was at that time. I think that guitar was one eighty nine, and uh, I you know the minimum you would charge for a repair like that is a hundred one hundred and fifty dollars. So I'm like I'm you know I'm doing the repair and I did the repair and my wife ended up giving that guitar away to I think the neighbor's kid, one of the neighbor's kid. I can't remember. I apologize. I th- like I said, I know I've talked about this somewhere before on one of the shows, so. It was probably more accurate information as it was more closer to when the event happened. So, you know, I basically fixed the guitar and then gave it away. Did I, I should have done a video of it, although I was thinking, like, I don't know what the benefit of that is. So I fixed the guitar, and I essentially went back to Harley Benton and said, hey, can we get this guitar replaced so we could get a guitar here and get it, you know, get it on the channel? And uh, they weren't interested. And the takeaway I took away at the time, and I still don't know to this day, is they didn't like the reviews I did. That's kind of what I got. Um, uh, obviously, of the three guitars, I gave two what I would think positive reviews, like because I thought they were very good. And one of them was, I, I would never say negative, but I mean, obviously, I, I didn't give it a glowing review because I didn't love it. I thought it was a very okay instrument. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, it was like, 
It, this is a very common thing, and I tell you guys this, this is really tough for, for me to understand. Um, when I give a video a review that isn't super like, man, this is the greatest thing ever since ever, and then a company doesn't respond to my emails anymore or doesn't talk to me anymore, I just assume they just didn't like the review. I have no proof of that. It could just be like they're not interested. Um, but that's that's what happened. So on that note, I would never never do another Harley Benton guitar review again because I kind of feel like that was a wasteful thing for them to do. Um, obviously, I fixed instruments, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Just the whole experience wasn't, wasn't good. <laughs> the guitars themselves were good, but that experience. Uh, so that's why I don't, I don't talk about it. All I talk about is what I can tell you now, which is I think their guitars are good. All the pick, ones I've picked up have been pretty good for the price. And, uh, and so that's where it laid. It's, uh, that's, where it's, that's where it's at. That's where it's been. So mojo hands, that's the answer why I said that. Um, and to me, it's been an easy thing. It's something I don't plan to do, and they've never asked or talked to me again. <laughs> so um, actually, to follow up, I think I, sh- I say they never talked to me again. That's not entirely true, because I remember my accountant coming to me because they sent Harley Benton sent me a bill, and they sent it to my accountant. And I remember my, uh, my accountant, uh, who's been my accountant for 15 years, uh, went to my wife and said, uh, there, here's what's funny. Um, <laughs> no, you know, your gear is my channel. It is trademarked, but there is no, I don't have an LLC called know your gear. And, uh, that's what flagged the accountant. Uh, they sent <laughs> Harley Bitten sent the accountant a bill for the guitars, including the broken one. And, uh, my accountant would have paid it. So, you know, cause if you know my address to get there, it goes there and that's where some bills get paid. And the accountant contacted my wife and said, there's a bill here, but it says to know your gear. And the accountant's like, I don't know. That's not a company. <laughs> that's not our company name. And I go, I, I know. So um, I don't know if she paid the bill or not. <laughs> so I'm assuming she paid it because they haven't said anything to me since. But yeah, I remember uh, I got that bill. It was quite a bit too. They gave me, it was like full boat. They made no discounts for me, even though I reviewed their guitars. So now I've, now I've got to think, think about this. We're just talking about it's tax day. And now I got to think about the fact I got to next week, I'm going to have to talk to the accountant and see that bill got paid. And if so, I'm sure if it did, we wrote it off somehow, right? Cause I mean, it was expenses. I'm hoping since we're tax day, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, thanks Mojo hand. The life of a YouTube channel is a strange world. Dave Foreman, we're going to switch gears here and talk about this. Is there anything you want from a pedal you cannot get at the moment? You know, what's funny about that is uh, I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I had this odd experience just recently. Um, obviously, I didn't tell you guys about it, but I'll tell you about it now because it's not going to happen. I had been working with a pedal builder to build a boost pedal. Um, I like boosts. I have many of them, and I never had one exactly like I wanted. And one of the things I I would like a boost pedal to do is to not be boost. In other words, like if you know uh, the, uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Homebrew Electronics was a company here in Arizona. They made a pedal called the Detox EQ for Paul Gilbert. And I have that pedal. I absolutely love it. And what it does is the opposite of a boost. You plug into it, go into your amp and you use it to kind of like we would roll off your volume on your on your on your guitar to clean an amp up, and I always wanted a boost that kind of like 
not too much clean the amp up, but I wanted to boost the kind of thickening agent. I wanted the, the guitar to sound a little thicker, but not really push the amp over. And then if I wanted it to, it could be a boost. And so I've been working with a company to do that. And then out of nowhere, about two months ago, feels about right, it was this year, um, Taurus uh, Amplifiers in Poland reached out and said, hey, would you like to check out some products on the channel? And of course, I like that idea. You know, that is, is a cool company. Um, and uh, I said, sure. And one of the, th- uh, so they sent me two products. I have both, obviously, because you know, one video just came out about a week ago or so. And one of them was that servo pedal. And um, I love that pedal so much <laughs> that I bought a second one and uh, informed my, the company I was working with that I don't really feel the need to make a boost pedal because I like that pedal. Um, and although it doesn't do 100% what I want, it's so close that because it does something I never knew I wanted, <laughs> I didn't really care about the sonic maximizer portion of that pedal, the, the clarity thing. That's a really cool feature. Nice on the pedal. Uh, what I really am impressed with is this compression thing that it has. So, you know, it has a compress in that servo pedal. There's definitely a compressor type thing happening. So it's boosting and compressing, which is adding sustain and, and thickening. I call it thickening agent. Um, and so um, I don't know if we could make a better pedal than that. And I, to me, it would have to be better. So that's what happened. So there was going to be a limited run, know your gear, boost pedal. But there was no reason to now. So <laughs> Brian says, your boost took too long. I know. You know what? I feel bad because uh, I I almost was decided this is the way I want to go. And at the last minute, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not right yet. And then this happened. And I was like, oh, yeah, we can't do it. I feel weird. Um, <laughs> I feel weird going, hey, here's a boost pedal. It's like this other boost pedal I like now. You know what I mean? I wanted it to be somewhat different. So to answer your question, David, is there any pedal that uh, I cannot get in the mo- moment? Um, not, not really. Not really. Um, I would love to try more delay reverb pedals. As you guys know, I love the combo delay reverb pedals. And I really like the Caverns, the Keeley Caverns. And and the new X Atlantic. Those are the two I like. And there's things I like about each one. And I use those two constantly. And there's, you know, uh, I feel like, I feel like there's something I like about each one that the, I don't like about the other. So it'd be nice to be like the, some other version of a pedal, but who knows? Who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, next one. What do we got? We have somebody. <laughs> uh freaking believable. Oh, he wants to know, hey, Phil, uh, he basically is going to let me know he's going to contact me this week about picking up his guitar. And that's cool. I Just let me know. You can text me anytime. And he says, buddy, wants to know thoughts on what I, I'm sure he wants my thoughts. Thoughts on the Spark Mini. I haven't seen it uh, other than the ad for it. I saw some YouTube channels, you know, thumbnails with it. Actually, that's not true. I saw the ad I saw was Daryl Braun Guitars is the ad. I I was con- I was in you know Instagram, you know, I like okay, what's going on is and uh, that Spark Mini Daryl Braun's video came up and I go, oh, that's weird. A video comes up I mean, and I looked and it was a, a sponsored ad from from Spark Mini and it was Daryl Braun. So I was I was like I thought it was a review and it was in a commercial or an ad. So, um, 
what am I trying to say? Uh, I saw it. It looks like a smaller version of the Spark. Um, it. I don't know what to tell you. I has. I saw it has two knobs. We talked about it briefly on the show. You know, I have no desire to buy one. I do have a desire though to buy a TH five. Um, my wife and I are talking about doing some traveling this summer, maybe go see her parents, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, go see some people since we haven't been seeing people for years. And, uh, and I was thinking maybe I'll take a little amp with me and, uh, I have a black star fly and I have, you know, so I was like, okay, do I want to take that? So maybe a THR five. So that's what I was thinking. So that'd be my thought would be if the spark mini is better than the THR five. So. GS458 says pros and cons of a new player sticking with one guitar for years. Okay. Got a strat, an acoustic, and an acoustic, but keep getting urges for a Les Paul 335 Tele Master Sounds. Uh, sure. Uh, look, it's tough because, you know, a lot of us that started on guitar, we didn't have, I didn't have resources available. And, you know, I was a kid. So parents bought me a guitar. <laughs> That's what I had, a guitar. It's a Stratty uh, guitar, and I had to play everything on that. Um, could I tell you that that's how it should be? Sure. There is definitely a argument. You said pros and cons. So let me give you the pro and con. The pro of having one guitar when you're starting out is, you know, you're, you're building muscle memory. So having one kind of neck, one kind of, you know, way to hold the guitar, all that stuff, that's probably going to be very helpful for you because you're not constantly moving around and shifting and, you know, like I said, changing your, your muscle memory of your hand position stuff. The, the the con, the downside of that, I don't think there is a downside to having only one guitar. I find that even that if you have a bunch of guitars, whether you're a rock star or a bedroom rocker or whatever you want to call it, um, whether you have a lot of guitars, I find that everybody just settles into a few guitars anyways or a few you know style or one or two styles of guitar. Um, there are guitars that I enjoy uh, that I feel like when I plug into them, they pull something out of me that maybe I normally wouldn't do, or they send me down a musical road that afternoon that I would have never done or wouldn't have thought to do. There is definitely truth to that. A guitar can bring a song out of you or a feeling or a technique out of you. Um, do you need a guitar to do that? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's the it's my favorite argument. I've said this before. I'm going to, I'm going to do it because I'm laughing already. My favorite argument on the internet. It's my favorite one. No, no argument is better than this. It's the argument of like when somebody puts comments uh, in videos constantly, by the way, uh, like you don't need another guitar, <laughs> right? Like you, some YouTube channel will put like the new, uh, you know, Ibanez guitar. And then somebody will put in the comments, you know, you know, you guys don't need another guitar. You just need to practice more. And I always laugh and I'm like, where do they think that argument is? I've been looking for it for years. I have never seen the argument. You don't need to practice. You don't need to play. You just need a lot of guitars. That's all you need. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the, you don't need an expensive guitar <laughs> to play to play guitar. I'm like, and I always joke, I go, but where's that counter argument? Who's saying, look, there's only two things I know, guys. It ha you have to have a lot of expensive guitars. Otherwise, why even play? <laughs> Right. So I think we all know you have to practice. I think you all know that that, in fact, have to practice. You want to practice. I've said this before. You want to make music. You want to play music. Um, sometimes, though, you, you shop for stuff. What's funny is, is this. I, 
I would rather go on a guitar. I'd rather go on reverb and look at guitars than go on Amazon and look at stuff. You know, oh, I bought a rug. <laughs> I bought a new blender. <laughs> you know, I mean, that doesn't do anything for me. So looking at guitars is nice, but I never sit there and go, uh, well, at least in my, and again, I don't want to speak for everybody, but in my world, there's no point where I'm on reverb looking at guitars where this was my scheduled practice time. I was going to practice this afternoon, but instead I'm looking at guitars. Some of you might be doing that, but it literally, I play guitar. I'll play guitar to the point where I just don't want to play guitar anymore. <laughs> That's usually what happens with me. It's been that way for years. I'm just playing. And after a while, as much as I love it, like anything, you kind of, you know, you're, you're burning out a little bit tinking around on it nothing's happening and so you go do something else and the next thing you know you're looking at guitars it's kind of fun it's in a it's a it's it's a joyful thing and i find joy from all avenues of it my knees hurt says i'm looking at guitar stuff on amazon right now that's funny i really buy very little very few things on amazon for guitar i don't know why maybe i should look more so <laughs> I love the jokes you guys are talking about Gibson food processor okay um. <laughs> Benjamin wants us to know he refuses to learn ninth chords until he has a hollow body that's interesting you know what's funny for me is I heard uh, of somebody once say that you know the whole one guitar argument and uh, and the argument was, you know, you just get a guitar and that's all you need and you just learn need to learn it. And I've seen – there's definitely experiences where we've seen musicians who – their first guitar they ever got is the guitar they're still playing to this day. My first guitar, I couldn't say it was wrong. It was obviously very inexpensive. It was a student-grade instrument, so that's that's a fact. What I can tell you is my next two guitars in my life are the wrong guitars. They were the absolute wrong guitars for me. I didn't know that because, because it's kind of like when I took lessons, I took the wrong lessons, but I didn't know that either. You know what I mean? Um, I never thought about it. I never, I don't know if this is a weird thing. Maybe I'm, I'm, I don't want to say unique, but maybe it doesn't happen to a lot of people. When I started playing guitar, I knew I wanted to play music and I knew I liked a lot of music, but to me, there was this what everyone did at the time kind of thought. Everyone was playing metal. Everyone. And, like, everyone was playing. Like, I don't see everyone. It's just everyone around me. Everyone around me was playing metal. And I liked metal. I still love metal to this day. But um, at that point in my life, I really hadn't been exposed to a whole lot of music. You know, being from Arizona, I mean, my you know country music. Uh, you know, I love country, obviously, uh, you know, pop music, there's rap, there's, there's metal to me, guitar centric music was apparently metal. That's what it was kind of sold to me as, as a kid. If you like guitar, then you love metal because there's a lot of guitar and metal. I didn't even think guitar was in pop music. Uh, you know what I mean? It was crazy to me at the time. Now, now there's not a lot of guitar and pop music, but at the time there was tons of guitar and pop music. Um, so, so what happened was as I got guitars, I got shredder style guitars was the next because performance, you know, you're going to play, practice your scales, shred. And uh, I would do this, but it was really like not was it wasn't what appealing to me until I took up bass. That's what happens. You guys know I started guitar and I very quickly went to bass. Bass became this thing. Not that the bass was a better instrument for me. It just all of a sudden 
it became about making music and not performing virtuosoly. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Um, in other words, I, I went to lessons and I learned solos to songs and shredding, or at least I was trying to do that stuff. And I was playing a shredder guitar because I kind of feel like that's what I was supposed to do. But once, like I said, once I go, okay, I'm going to get a bass and be in a band. Once I was in a band making music, I go, this is, this is what actually what I care about. This, I like this being just part of the group making music. And then when I, then when I did play guitar, then I was more interested in less, I don't want to say flashy guitars, but instead of the shreddy kind of Ibanez's, the thin neck, fast necks, all of a sudden it was for me, it was more of the, you know, a Strat or a Les Paul, something just more, you know, just e- even keel and I could strum chords and be part of the band. And, um, and, uh, that's where I kind of found my, my, I don't want to say my, my, I guess that's where I found my passion is I like playing a lot of music now. And when I play music for myself at home, uh, I don't play, like, I don't work on shreddy things or, you know, technical things. I play really basic things that I just like to play for some reason. So it's just why I say that is that's what happened to me. If I would have been stuck with my first 80s style guitars, it's not that I, I'm out of 80s music now. I, I love 80s metal. I love 90s metal. I love all that stuff. I love it all as, as much as I ever did. But I definitely became more eclectic in my listening and the style of listening of music I like now. And, and, uh, so, I mean, there is a benefit to, you know, growing, (laughs) trying different things, trying different guitars. Okay. Right. We'll be right back. Ever wonder how your favorite entertainers and athletes made it from childhood to the spotlight? Join me, Nashville-based entertainment reporter Jennifer Vickery-Smith, as I chat with moms of entertainers and entertaining moms on my hit podcast, Got It From My Mama. You'll hear delightful conversations with moms of everyone from the Jonas Brothers, Luke Bryan, Kelsey Ballerini, Steph Curry, Travis Kelsey, and so many more, sharing the journey from a perspective only a mama can share. New episodes weekly as we share the best conversations of family, faith, and fame on the Got It From My Mama podcast. Hold on. Bobby says, I I had only one electric, realized it was the wrong one a few years ago, and now I'm too old now. You're never too old now. I know it's not that's not me. You're never too old, Jim. It's never that crap. I'm not here to, you know, patronize you <laughs> or anything. Um, but no, seriously. I mean, uh, you know, I, here's what I, you know. I'm. You're saying you're too old now, but here's what I've learned about too old now. You say that, and then five years go by, and then you go, well, maybe I wasn't too old. <laughs> now I'm too old now. <laughs> that's the problem now now you're like now i'm too old now but i I, you know and real reality is in a couple years you'll look back and go i should have done it then too all right so mm. ed says he grew up in jackson florida he says in the 60s give him some southern tunes well that's the thing you know what you're exposed to at the time uh i wasn't uh i wasn't uh exposed to a lot of stuff at first but definitely more so in my um, older teens, early 20s, by far. 
Uh, Tups57 says, Hey, Phil, I bought an Ert Telly based on your review. I hope you like it. I, I, uh, those damn Ertz are too good. I really feel that way. It's too good of a guitar. I've been thinking about that. I, you know, when you do reviews, uh, videos, and you, you know, sometimes you just do them because you're like, okay, this is the guitar we're going to talk about. <laughs> we go through it. But sometimes, every once in a while, like that Yamaha guitar, that Ert guitar, there's a guitar that comes on the bench, and I'm like going through it, and it's not that that guitar has like that's the greatest guitar ever. It's that you do your next couple of reviews and you keep thinking, going, man, this is a really good guitar. That Ur guitar stuck in my head. I just reviewed a guitar that will be out this week, or two guitars actually. You'll see this week, and uh, very one of them is very expensive and it's very good, very good guitar, very expensive, and uh, as good as it is, <laughs> I couldn't help but think the entire time like that Urt was really good for 10 and i'm not exaggerating it was exactly 10 percent the cost to the consumer that's a hard number man 10 percent <laughs> so so that's a that's 10 percent the cost so uh so yeah i have to tell you i i, I get a lot of questions about the earth guitar and uh mostly for my friends <laughs> You know, the because the, they know, they can tell, like I told you guys, they can tell when I really like something in a video. I'm sure you guys can too, but they really more so, they can sense something was a little like, you know, it flows easy for me. for me. And uh, the Ur guitar was that. It was really, really good. And uh, I'm reviewing another one, by the way. And um, um, and uh, that one's just as good. In fact, I'm a little, I'm pushing that video back a little bit because I think it's going to be too repetitious of the first video it's gonna be like this is good too <laughs> so there you go so that's a good guitar um only complainer but he doesn't seem to like the name but like i said it's the guy's last name so i don't think he's gonna change his name i don't think so uh we have antique rocker says he's got one question okay three topics does that count can you do that <laughs> let's let me read uh, on the effect of tone, sustain, and durability. Okay. Uh, necks. Bolt-on, set neck, or neck through? Um, you know, I did a, uh, a, a video with Neil Moser. It's on the channel. And I, obviously, Neil Moser uh, uh, was one of the guys at BC Rich uh, during the heyday of BC Rich. And BC Rich, of course, was really known for those neck through guitars. And, of course, he makes the, the Moser guitars now that are very sought after, very expensive. And I was at his shop, and we were talking. And uh, in that video, I asked him, I said, well, what, what sustains better, uh, neck through, bolt-on, and uh, set neck? What's funny about this and why I'm telling you this story and why I'm kind of walking you that that video that day is part of the thing I learned on this doing this gig is that a lot of times when I interview people, I know everything they're going to say. I don't want to be like, I, don't, I know it sounds like egotistical. I don't mean to be, but I mean, there's not a lot that I'm going to ask. I don't even, even a master luthier at this point that I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm as, on the same tier as those people. I'm just saying like, when it comes to the question, I already know the answer, right? I ask the question for the audience, right? And I let them talk and let them be the star of that interview for the audience. That's the skill I I had to teach myself. I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, but it made sense, right? Um, 
I don't like it. Uh, me personally, I'm not a fan of interviews where you ask, let's say, you know, this this famous guitar player a question, then he answers, and then you start going, "Oh yeah, my band too. We do that same technique you do." You know, like no one cares about you. <laughs> you know, so I try to put the spotlight on the person. The reason I tell you that is because when I was interviewing Neil Neil that day, his answer really was enlightening to me <laughs> because he articulated something in a way that I never had really considered, even though it seemed so obvious. And that's why I loved about it was should have known the answer, but he hit me with it. And that question and that answer. And if you can watch back that video, uh, my question was exactly your question. You know, what sustains better the neck through the set neck or the bolt on? And he said, it doesn't matter. He goes, the, the, the bolt-on can sustain just as much, if not longer, than the neck through or the set neck and vice versa. He's like, because the way the guitar is built, how well the frets are leveled, how well the guitar is constructed is going to determine how well it resonates and all that stuff. And I like that answer. That's a perfect answer because I'm like, you know, that's a great... He's actually saying it, I think, the best way you can say it. Does a neck through sustain longer than a bolt-on it can but is that the only factor it's not even close the biggest factor is how well is the guitar constructed and how well is the guitar uh set up and that's going to uh make the biggest difference and what's funny about that is i found that to be 100 percent not obviously obviously to be 100 percent true because of the fact that i have certain guitars that just really really outshine other guitars i have guitars like behind me right now is this kiesel this is a neck through it's a real neck through string through body guitar and, uh, and I love it, but I cannot tell you that it sustains any differently or better than the neck bolted on guitar with the tremolo system. Just, uh, some of it's the pickups, some of it's the setup, some of it's the strings, a lot of stuff going on. So there you go. I think the go-to answer is to say that neck throughs sustain more and blah, blah, blah. But I, I just don't see that to be the case. So that's the answer to that part of the question. That's not the deciding factor of sustaining. Durability wise... I don't know. There's all kinds of arguments on that. I'm going to say, what I'm going to say is this. You can uh, apparently throw a Strat on the ground and set it on fire and still play it. So I'm going to say that's a durable. <laughs> so maybe the bolt-on wins there. Uh, the next part of the question was bridges, wrap around, stop bar, string through body. Uh, and, and then the third is headstock designs. Look, headstock designs are going to really, really be important for uh, tuning stability. That's huge. You know, uh, we know that. And obviously for, obviously, when you talk about durability, it's a, it's a factor. So it's a huge factor. The bridge, though, the bridge is very misleading because one of the things that I, I learned with Fender was um, in, in selling Fenders was a lot of players constantly ask you, like, I want a Fender Strat with a hardtail bridge. It's the most, like, requested thing. And um, it was always like, everybody would always ask you, like, hey, I want a Fender with a hardtail bridge. I want a Fender Strat with a hardtail bridge. And I'd be like, yeah, why don't Fender make more hardtail bridges? Everybody seems to be asking for them. And what I learned is the first time I played my first Fender Strat with a hardtail bridge, uh, a lot of them from the 70s, by the way, they play differently. <laughs> it, it's weird. Um, it's not weird now, but it was weird at the time. So um, basically, the bridge uh, affects a lot of how not only it sustains, 
but how it feels. And there's that's that give and take is that I found sometimes where you can make a, a certain bridge will sustain better than another, but there's a different feel to it. So to answer that question, the third part of that question is, I here's what I will tell you. You're asking basically a question about sustain and what affects sustain. And it's funny, if I was to say what affects sustain the most, the neck construction, whether it's bolt-on, set neck, or, or you know, our uh, neck through, or whether or not the bridge, what material the bridge is made on, whether if it's brass or it's aluminum, aluminum, whatever you want to call it, or uh, what was the thing? Uh, the headstock design. I would say what affects the sustain the most is the type of pickups and the setup on the guitar is going to be the most because the sustain is coming from the amp. <laughs> amplified you can have a guitar that sustains really well unplugged and of course that's going to try to translate a little bit when it goes into the amp but i would say that uh, you can you can force sustain with a good pickup and a good setup you will improve both those things with those two things and that's very very true because the setup on the guitar is is uh very good because a lot of players like their action really really low and that's fine. What I can tell you is um, I used to play my action so much lower when I started my YouTube channel than now. But the problem is, is that I can't, I had to relearn to play guitar for YouTube because I was, I did whatever, uh, not everybody, I did what a lot of players do, slam the action, light strings, you know, uh, and I just play, not to shred, just to play, just it's easy, you know, like Billy Gibbons, why are you working so hard, right? Play some eights and slam the action. I've heard people say that it doesn't affect the tone and it's all the same. I don't know. I can tell you this. The gauge is hard for people to hear. I can tell you that. So whether I have nines, eights, or tens on a guitar, I can tell you right now, the comment sections will not change in a video as I've done that in videos. So I've actually tested it. It's not in theory. I've done that. Um, what I can tell you is the action is directly uh, connected to what people hear. When I play a guitar and the action that I like, which is really, really low, people will tell you that the guitar is dull, it's not sustaining, it's bright. Um, there's a lot of things they don't like. I take that same guitar, I raise the action just a little bit, I re-record that guitar, the comment sections would change immediately to, that guitar is full sounding, they love the sustain, they love the low ends and mids. So uh, a setup is a huge part, which is why um, Aaron from Aaron's Music asked me, you know, when I do my reviews, I talk about the setup. And his question was, um, does it really matter to the review? Because, you know, not every guitar is going to come set up the same way. And this is true. But the reason I started showing the setup in the video was hopefully to tell a, a story. I like to think of my uh, reviews as little mini documentaries, right? If you go through, if I start, uh, th that's been the goal since day one. If I make them as consistent as I can, which is what my goal to strive is, as you archive, go through the videos of guitars I've talked about, you start noticing consistency in, in things like, wow, the guitars that are two millimeters have this kind of thing going on, and the guitars that have a lower action have this going on, and so on and so on. So you can tell. I don't know. We'll see. So there you go. That was a really intricate question. <laughs> Thank you, Antique Rocker. Uh, D. Sharon. I'm going to say Sharon. Sharon says, hey, Phil, are you ever going to have someone review your black stock pickups? Uh, no. As I, I feel bad. No, and then I just take a drink. Um, I have no plans to uh, have anyone review the pickups. Um, 
the uh, they're in videos. This has been the the bigger question that I have been asked personally. Like, is you know why don't I tell you guys what pick up what videos they're in? And that is something. And the reason is is I didn't think about doing that. You know, it's not something I thought about. Um, there's not, sometimes there's not as much thought into a video. There is, but there isn't. For instance, um, I told you guys in December, I bought a Fender Custom Shop Strat. It's been in some videos recently. It's over in the corner. Sunburst 60s Strat. Um, those are my pickups. Those are Blackstock pickups. Uh, the first thing I did with that guitar is I didn't like the pickups, so I yanked them. <laughs> Actually, didn't like is not fair. What happened was, if you recall, uh, if it's behind me, is it behind me? It is. So behind me, for those listening, um, I have my custom shop copper strat, you guys remember. And it had three single coils in it. Those were uh, black stock copper heads pickups. That's what I use my purse. That's when I had it set up for me personally. That's when I would use it personal. And the theory behind when I did the, uh, the Kiesel Delos in the metallic copper penny, the reason I did that guitar was... I kind of wanted the Copper Strat to be mine again. Uh, it, it had been, I've been using it in YouTube videos so much to demo pedals and things because I like the way it plays. That's a guitar I've had for a very long time. It's very comfortable. It's worn in. It's, it's mine. And I didn't want to color it with my pick, my personal pickups, even though that's what I prefer in that guitar. And so I was using other pickups and all kinds of stuff. And so I did the, the, the Kiesel Delos. And then I restored, or I should say, I put the, the Copper Head pickups back in the Copper Strat. Actually, so you know, <laughs> uh, in my marketing jargon on the Copperhead pickups, I say they're called Copperheads because they're named after Copperhead Snake. And I thought that was funny because I'm in Arizona and you think of desert, but Copperheads aren't really indigenous to Arizona. So <laughs> that's not why it's dude. They're called Copperheads because I have them, I made them, and when I, I put and I wanted them in my Copper Strat, and that's where they were. And he, you know, and so what's interesting about that is I bought the Custom Shop Strat. And I ended up liking the, the, the copper strat single coils better than the custom shop strat single coils. So I swapped them. The reason I tell you that is if it's, if it's the single coils you're talking about, if you watch any of the videos, any video of me in a sunburst strat, those are the copperhead black stock pickups. Cause that's the only pickups that's ever been in that guitar. Uh, and in any video, that makes sense. Uh, humbuckers are in tons of guitars and videos. Like I said, anytime the video is not about the guitar and we're talking about pedals and stuff, a lot of times it'll be those pickups because majority of my guitars have those my personal pickups because that's where I'm, what I made them for. <laughs> I was just doing my own thing. And that becomes the second problem of this, which is I still haven't des decided or des I don't have a strong desire to market or build this pedal thing. Right, our pickup thing. I'm sorry. Right now, it's just kind of like I'm selling a lot, a lot. Meaning, I I make them all myself. So, you know what I mean. Uh, more orders just means more more hours on the bench, um, and that's fine. But you can tell, uh, as I've told you guys, you can tell when I'm winding a lot of pickups. You don't see as many videos. It goes exactly ebb and flows that way. More videos, less pickups are being made. So it's just a balance thing. Thank you for the question. Hope that gives you some feedback. Why? Why can't I find another question? I can. Here's another question. This one's from Derek, who says, I love the review of the Taurus servo pedal uh, integrated at, at the idea of the BBE Sonic Maximizer. 
uh, in my guitar single chain. Are other are there other options in pedal format? Can you share experience in the other unique pedals for tone? There are some other cool unique pedals for tone, um, but um, I guess at the core of your question, the the Sonic Maximizer pedal, which is a cool pedal, I've never fallen in love with. It's never done anything for me. I it's one of those pedals like I plug into it and I go, oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, right? You hear your highs first and it's kind of very sparkly and it's very subtle. And um, it never occurred to me to take the BB Sonic Maximizer and kind of pair it with boost and compression, which is what the servo is doing. And then I think that's like, that's the perfect marriage. Like, okay, those three things together are fantastic, um, which is why I like the servo. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Me personally, um, if you like the BB Sonic Maximizer, I would definitely check out the Servo as something that's like that, but maybe a little different. And if you don't like the Sonic Maximizer, you might have a shot with the Servo. I don't know. Uh, you know, I can tell you this, I'm not going to I don't, I'm not going to do it in videos because I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I'm not going to use the servo in videos when I demo stuff uh, and review it. But uh, like I said, they're on my, it's on my board now. It's like, it's like I got to have it on at all times. Uh, okay. D- uh, Damon, Damien, Damien wants to know, can you please describe your process for bonding with the guitar or deciding to sell it? I never thought about having a process, but well, okay. He goes, I get anxiety with new guitars. Me too. It's the first thing. You might, I I, want to read the rest of your question, but I used to think it was more of a buyer's remorse thing. (laughs) Like I have buyer's remorse when I buy a guitar. That's not it. But I I don't think that's it. But I do get anxiety. It's like guitar, buying a guitar brings me joy and then anxiety. And it just doesn't stop until it like mellows out. (laughs) There's like a time frame and then I'm okay again. Uh, it can last for over a year. Okay. So yours is bad. Mine lasts like weeks or sometimes days. Uh, I finally let one go. Thanks for the great channel. Okay. So get it. If getting rid of guitars gives you anxiety, I can understand that. Um, and, and there should be a little bit of that. There should be a little bit of like, (laughs) you know, uh, it's, it's okay. Um, I can tell you, I don't have a process, but I can tell you what I've learned about bonding with guitars. Um, which is when you buy a guitar, your first reaction is very is going to be extreme. This is what I've learned. You're either going to love it or hate it. I find that it's very, and here's why, even if you're indifferent, that indifference actually makes you feel like you hate it because you want this, you want a positive reaction. So you either get the positive reaction and that fades off very quickly, or you get the negative reaction. And sometimes that fades off really quickly. So what I've learned is this, uh, you know, you need to spend some time with the instrument. That's for sure. You have to, it, it, it's to figure out what it is that it's doing or not doing for you. Um, and getting rid of guitars, uh, for me, it's never, like I said, it's never been about, I don't use them. So I'm going to get rid of them. It's I, if I don't love them and that's basically what it is. I just don't love that guitar anymore. And it's got to be extreme. You know what I mean? Um, and I say that, and I don't want to confuse you because I've said this before because you know, on the podcast it gets a little confusing because of the YouTube gig throws people off. 
I have to, there's guitars I have here because they were gifts. There's guitars here because they're for the channel. In other words, they were sent here and I'm, I'm doing something with them. And they're part of this, you know, here in the background or here in the sh uh, shop. Um, and, and so sometimes people ask me questions and I, I have to constantly toggle my, my, um, my answers because of the fact that it's a little bit different, uh, and, uh, where I have personally, I like guitars, so I buy them. <laughs> and then I have a channel where I highlight guitars and talk about them, review them and show people things about them. And so there's this constant thing that's happening. And so, um, as I said, it gets a little tricky for me, uh, to explain, but it, when it's my personal guitar and I buy it for myself personally and when I'm out to, um, I, I, ha I had a, a weird experience just recently happen. I bought a guitar last year and, uh, I had anxiety f about it because it was expensive and I wasn't loving it. And so I guess that's the buyer's remorse part, right? Kicking in. It was really haunting me. And, uh, what happened in that guitar's case, uh, well, I'll tell you, is my PRS hollow body two. And the problem I had was twofold. It was a lot of money. I'll lose money if I sell it. Um, which is, you know, just painful to think about, <laughs> um, you know, just like, oh, I bought it and now I get to, you know, take a bath on it. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And long story short, I came across a different one that I really wanted at the time. I bought that one just recently. I really like that one. And here's what happened that was really strange. I had every, I had a hundred percent plan to sell the hollow body too to pay for the new hollow body. And instead the new hollow body made me love the old one. And not because I don't like the new one. I love the new one. I like them both. They both have something that I, I just never really saw in the first one. So now I'm selling something else. So it's kind of a strange thing. So that's what only thing I can tell you guys is the, the best advice I have is going to suck because it's, it's expensive. I have learned so many times that you should not get rid of something to get something. You should get something, and then if you like it, then get rid of something. I, I may, so I don't want to confuse anybody. What do I mean by that? If you decide you want to sell your, in this case, I'm pointing at Ibanez guitar, sell this Ibanez guitar to buy this Paul Reed Smith guitar. Um, what I've learned is if you can do it, if you can manage it in any way, do not sell the guitar. <laughs> buy the new guitar, and then when you're sure, sell the guitar that you're going to replace with. Um, because what's happened more times than not for me is I sell this guitar to buy, you know, sell the Ibanez to buy the PRS. I don't like the PRS as much as the Ibanez. And that's, that's when the anxiety comes in. Why did I do that? Um, so there you go. Ah, crazy. Um, all right. Let's, uh, Vimps69 said, best thing about Friday afternoon. He said it like he's just saying that, like this is the show is the best thing. But I was like, what if that's the question? What's the best thing about Friday afternoon? <laughs> we get to play guitar this weekend. I don't think that was the question, but I'm going to give it to you, Vimps. Um, let me hit some... Uh, here's a good question. There's two I like, uh, and I want to talk about. So this one was from Murano, 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 sorry. He says, Hey, Phil, my old guitar teacher. Well, that's not a good sign. 
<laughs> my old guitar teacher. Now, when you say old, do you mean he's like an old dude or he's your previous guitar teacher? Uh, that's a question I'll, I won't be able to answer. It says, uh, my old guitar teacher said that aftermarket pickups are a scam. <laughs> They're a scam. <laughs> Strong language for something. And they just coils around a magnet and that should just turn your amp up and adjust EQ. Is he wrong? Uh, well, he's wrong. Absolutely. Not even close. Uh, he's definitely wrong. However, there is some, I, I look, I, I have a, oh God, I had this, I have this video. It's about how to pick a pickup. I did one a couple years ago. People liked it. I have a new one. The new one I think is going to be more, more beneficial. Um, and Here's the thing about that. Yeah, of course. If your guitar is too bright, you can use your EQ on your amp. Those are two different things to discuss, okay? So aftermarket pickups can be a scam. Sure, of course. Well, pickups in general, anything could be a scam. Anything could be uh, uh, crazy. But here, here's why. This is the thing I, 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 I get about pickups, and, and that's tricky, okay, <laughs> is this. People can't see in them. And because they can't see in them, they just assume they're all the same. Um, I don't want to say like, oh, I make a pickup, so therefore pickups aren't a scam, or I'm friends with pickup makers, and therefore it's not a scam. That's not where I'm coming from on this angle. What I want to tell you is this, is, is that it is weird to me to this day what little changes can be made to a pickup to make a huge difference in the sound. And yes, do... Some pickup companies, some pickup makers kind of like rely on your your lack of knowledge to charge you more. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely happening uh, for sure, right? They could do a, a minor change to a pickup that doesn't cost much or sometimes cost less and then charge you more because of great marketing. That's absolutely true. But it's weird to me, like when somebody says it's wire just wrapped around a magnet, I'm like, well, it's it's different kinds of wire, wrapped around different kinds of magnets <laughs> and they produce different things and they do different things. And the reason I'm going to come at it backwards is this, as nonchalant as you can make that statement, you could actually say, man, when you have a problem with a pickup, it becomes a nightmare trying to solve it um, with a, with, with just saying, well, I just wrap wire around it and it's just got a sound. So it's a really intricate thing. Pickups are one of the things that I find guitar players don't spend a lot of time learning about, even though, to me, your guitar sound is your pickup. Glenn Fricker did a video series we talked about on podcasts, this show, uh, where he said that your most of your tone's coming from your speaker. And, uh, and there's a lot of truth to that, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. My point is, is that it's not all your sound, but there's a lot of it sound. I would argue that a pickup can dramatically change your sound of your guitar more than anything else. Uh, I've said this before. Uh, you know, uh, the pickup is, is, for the most part, going to be the sound. So that's so that's why the pickups. But when I when I do videos, I hear that all the time. By the way, with comments, all kinds of videos I do, uh, and they'll say I'll say it's really bright sounding, and they'll go, "Oh, well, why don't you use EQ that with your amp?" I'm like, "Well, you can, of course, of course." However. And here's where it gets kind of harsh. That teacher's comment about pickups really doesn't explain, uh, doesn't um, illustrate his lack of knowledge about pickups as much as it explains his lack of knowledge about amplifiers. Because not all EQs on all amps are the same, and sometimes EQing a sound into your amp 
really does different things than you ever imagined it would do. For instance, if your pickup's really thin, you just run more bass on your amp. That sounds great, but if you really into amplifiers, a lot of you, obviously there's quite a few people here live every week, and some of them are amp aficionados, will tell you, you know, messing with the EQ on an amp can really change the amp in a negative way. So, uh, so there you go. Um, but I say this at the end of all that to say he's also technically not 100% wrong because there is a little bit of that too. What I will say is this. There is a lot <laughs> in this industry of snake oil sales, of course. It's not just pickups. It's guitars. It's strings. It's cables. At some point, there's there's a point where you go... And you know what I found for me? Instead of like trying to figure out who's trying to sell you the the, the BS, you just figure it out for yourself. <laughs> you'll be you'll be fine. So just figure out when you think they're they're pushing too hard. And I find most cases you'll be fine. Paul's question is our he says, I'm trying to buy something from Sam Ash website. Uh, they have a spend $500, get $75 back credit card offer. The site just cancels my orders. Is it 2002 again? I don't know. I, I uh, you know, call somebody. That's <laughs> Sam Ash. Call them up. Sam Ash is a company, and I've said this before, as someone who knows Sammy, you know, uh, professionally kind of through this this world I live in. Um, they're... They're a family-owned, old-school type business. I've said this before. In fact, I said it on a show once, and I got so many comments from you guys that have affirmed what I already told you, which is, you know, Sammy is in his business every day. That guy's on the phone talking to store managers, talking to employees, approving deals for customers. I mean, he works his business. Um, I say that because they're not as tech savvy as someone like Sweetwater. You know what I mean? Sweetwater spends a lot more money in there in that side of the business than Guitar Center does, than uh, anyone else does, AMS, um, than Sam Ash. So uh, part of the problem is you have to understand you're not going to get that computer-esque Amazon-level thing through Sam Ash. You've got you to gotta understand that if you're having any kind of issues, just call somebody. They're, they're a business where they can uh, so let, you know, take care of it through the phone. It's a little old school, which is why I have trouble, and I've told this to the Sam Ash guys, it's tough sometimes to, to, to talk about their business model on a internet program <laughs> because uh, the, uh, the company that does it best, of course, is WeWater by far because they spend the money for the infrastructure they need to make this an easy process for you guys. And there you go. Okay, I have, what do I have? I have a subject I want to bring up. It's kind of a funny thing, and I wanted to bring this up. It's going to be a little sideways on us. It's the one-hour mark. So let's talk about this in the one-hour mark. There was an article, article I'm going to share with you, web. It was on Guitar World, and it happened a little while ago. It wasn't even a new article. Does it have the date here? When did it happen? Published 10 days ago. It says, The Making of the PRS Silver Sky. How Paul Reed Smith and John Mayer created the best SE model yet! I need an echo machine. <laughs> echo, echo, echo. Uh, anyways, um, why am I sharing this with you? Well, it it made me think, and normally I, I, I have you guys come up with subjects, but this is a subject I wanted to talk about. I hope you guys understand. 
So I read the article. If you uh, so inclined, you can go to Guitar World and look it up, PRSSE article. It's Paul Reed Smith and John Mayer talking about how they come up, what they did with the SE, what it, what makes it so special. And basically, there's a part in this article where uh, they ask Paul Smith, <laughs> uh, is the Silver Sky the number one selling guitar at, at Paul Reed Smith, at PRS Guitars? And this is what was interesting about that question. Paul said in this interview that no, he's pretty sure, and then he's, it's apprehensive, right? So he's not saying for sure. He says, I'm pretty sure it's the SE245, right? No, sorry, uh, not the 245. The 408, four, wait, hold on. I'm so used to the SE240. Maybe it is the SE245. It is the SE245. He said the number one selling guitar is the SE245. This is what he thinks. He's not saying that for sure. He said he'd have to ask somebody and have them come back with numbers. He said it's SE245. Then basically it's like the custom 24 and then it's the silver sky. Okay. Now why that struck a chord with me and please, uh, as I, as I scan this, I was looking for the exact quote. Yeah. Sorry. Five, nine, four. Okay. Ready? This is what he says. The question is, has the silver sky eclipsed the classic custom 24? Oh, let me share it with you guys. Wait, hold on. There it is. Sorry. Has the Silver Sky eclipsed the Classic 24 in terms of demand and sales? Okay. And he says, Paul says, no, I don't think so. I would have to double check the figures, which is an interesting thing. But I believe the 594 is still outpacing the Silver Sky and the Custom is outpacing the 594. He, I'm sure he means the Custom 24. But I think those are the three. Why that perked my interest is this the 594 came out i want to say in 2015 or 16 as the first one the double cut okay and then uh, obviously the custom 20 the custom series has been out for 30 years i did a video with Mar uh, marty schwartz and uh I, don't, I think i told you guys this and this is why this ties in i did a video with marty schwartz channel I did a few. And one of the videos was he was doing a giveaway for a Silver Sky SE. And he asked me the question. He said, is the Silver Sky uh, the, their number one selling guitar now? And I said, oh, it seems like it. Uh, I said something non-specific because I don't have the numbers. I said, it seems like it. I said, when I was at the factory, they were making so many of them. And uh, uh, Jean at PRS that I deal with, she responded to me after seeing that video. And she said, hey, Phil, just so you know, Custom 24 outsells the John Muir Silver Sky. Now, why that matters is nothing until this article, which is when Paul Reed Smith, they ask him, like, is the Silver Sky, you know, eclipsing sales? Is it, it the dominant thing? And he's like, no, the 594 is really outselling it. And then the custom. But the Silver Sky is a lot newer than those guitars, specifically the custom. So to the fact that it's even in the same realm of how many guitars and uh, that those others sell, right? So uh, like I... Iconic Icenic Wolf. Icenic Wolf says, so PRS Custom 24, then 594, then Silver Sky. That's basically what I get he's alluding to. Of course, keep in mind, if you're using that logic, you're talking about a guitar that's been selling for 30 years, a guitar that's been selling for, uh, let's say, eight years, seven, eight years, and then the Silver Sky, which has been around, I think the Silver Sky came out, is that 2018? Does that sound right? 2018? 
I, I want to say it's right. If it was 2017 or 18, right? So the 594 was at least a couple years before that. Um, so here's what's interesting about that. Uh, as you guys know, I interviewed uh, John Petrucci on the channel, and he said that his guitar is now like the number one selling signature model, you know, or number two selling signature model of all time. And it's one of the top sellings, if not the top selling one for Music Man. So the, the reason I brought this all up was it makes you wonder how long before John Mayer and John Petrucci and guys that sell guitars in the numbers they do end up coming up with the same idea that Eddie Van Halen did, which is it's probably better to just to have my own guitar company. Because if the Silver Sky is not the, self, the top seller for Paul Reed Smith guitars, that's fine. But the fact that it's his top three models... And of course, one of those models has been selling for 30 years. So of course, in any world, if the Silver Sky outpaces the Custom 24 in apparently a fraction of the time, that's crazy to think about. And so, and now with the SE, of course, that's what they were getting at with this uh, interview is that the SE Silver Sky will probably be the dominant SE in the, in the series. So it's interesting to, to see that how much power these guys have to sell guitars. That's crazy to me. You know, sometimes we we forget um, how much guitar players make us want guitars. You know, the reality is, do you want a Strat because Leo Fender is was a genius and he knew how to make product? Or do you want a Strat because Jimi Hendrix played one and Jeff Beck played one and, you know what I mean, Eric Clapton played one? Do you want a Les Paul because... You know what I mean? It, it just, it looks cool and it's iconic or is it cool and iconic because Jimmy Page played it? And at some point, you know, uh, the right players can create their own companies. A cynic, I think, I hope I'm saying it right. A cynic, I cynic, ice, I see ice Nick. Ice Nick Wolf <laughs> says, I'll just call you Wolf. Uh, that didn't work out great for Zach Wilde. That's not entirely true because one, I don't know that it did or didn't. Okay. I don't, but I would imagine you, you're not aware either. So here's the trick on this. Okay. Is we, it's very common in this industry to get a 6% royalty. That's a very common royalty based amount. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm going to tell you though, the majority of players though, do get the 6% royalty. And it's usually based off what it sells to the dealer, not the customer. So for instance, if a dealer, if you buy a guitar for $1,000 and a dealer buys it, the average dealer buys it for 700. So in other words, 30% off. And then of course the premium dealer is going to buy it for 40% margin, 40% margin being the key. So it's, so let's just say for the, for the sake of this argument, we're talking about a $600 price point. Okay. That makes life easy. I hope. Right. Let's keep things easy. So if a guitar is a thousand dollars to you, the dealers are going to pay $600, right? And so the artist would receive a royalty of each guitar of $36. That's about right. Sounds about right. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, let's say they sell uh, 100,000 units, which is a lot. 100,000 times uh, 36. I don't know why I'm having trouble with this today. <laughs> okay. Right? Um, I'm just double checking my numbers. Um, yeah, and uh, my knees hurt says six percent is more than BMX pros get. It, it, again, it's it's more it's it's a high percentage or it's an average percentage. But sometimes, like I said, they can have other deals. My point is, is that Zach Wild can create his own brand, a la Eddie Van Halen, EVH, 
have somebody else build it, all the butts what both those companies did, and the royalty deal changes dramatically, right? I don't know what the royalty deal then becomes. I just don't know. I don't have any insight into that. But here's the question for Zach Wild. If his royalty deal just becomes 20%, think about that. He, he, you know, he was making 6% off those Epiphone uh, Zach Wild guitars, right? And now he can make him 25, 20, 25% off of guitars. He, remember, he can sell a lot less guitars and hit the same the same amount of money in his pocket. But more importantly, he's building a brand where he was building someone else's brand before. I, I could tell you honestly, um, uh, you know, this this comes up a lot. It's, it's, it's a question for me is uh, Gene, uh, one of the nice viewers, I, and I, it was my fault. I apologize to Gene. Um, my, by the way, Gene, my wife sent you a, a, a shirt, one of the new shirts. And, um, and I told you guys, if you send me a shirt, <laughs> That's what I said. If you send me a shirt, I will send you one of my shirts. It's a shirt swap, right? And I do that. I have to do it with channels all the time. I just did it with uh, Grumpy My Guitar. You know, he, he sent me a shirt, and then my wife sends him a shirt. Um, what I didn't specify is I want it to be your shirt. <laughs> like, I want to promote your channel. If you got a channel with some, you know, some subs, and you're trying to do something, and if I could wear your shirt, and that gets you 10 subs, you know, and that helps you, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, Gene sent me an orange amp shirt. I don't wear, I didn't say I didn't want, I'm sure I apologize. I didn't say I didn't want brands. So I don't, I'll wear the shirt, Gene, just not on the channel. I'm not wearing a Fender shirt or a Gibson shirt or an orange shirt. I'll wear like a know your gear shirt or someone that does what I do. Or if you're a band, I'll wear your band shirt. Um, but I'm not here to, I'm already pushing enough corporate agenda weekly, daily, and, uh, and it's easy cause it's what we love, you know what I mean? What we love to do. I don't want to do it with like billboards, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, <laughs> want beetle wants to know what will I send? If you send your underoos, I will send you nothing. Want beetle. <laughs> Please don't send me your underoos. So, <laughs> anyone else I would have said, well, I don't, maybe I wear underoos, but with want beetle, uh, I don't know if you mean use underoos. Wanna beetle's got, uh, a very, uh, uh, eclectic uh, sense of humor. So it could go a little south on you fast if you're not paying attention with Wanna Beetle. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say same thing. Would you rather build your brand? Uh, me, I would rather wear my own merch shirt on my own podcast or somebody that I'm just trying to help out because I think they are kindred spirit or there's somebody like us, part of the community, uh, than a corporation. If I was John Mayer, would I want to help Pierre uh, Paul Ray Smith guitars out or would I want to advance the John Mayer brand? Maybe that's the answer. Eddie Van Halen, same same. Uh, same thing. Um, like I said, it's not just about money and I don't want to make it just about money. It's not about they can make more. The question is, is like I said, if they can make the same, but push their brand, that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing in today's world. So it was interesting to me because I've said this many times um, with the Paul Reed Smith guys. When I was at their factory, two, two, last two times at their factory, they were making so many John Mayer guitars. They were just everywhere. I have so many pictures. I kept taking so many pictures. I was in shock just how many John Mayer guitars they were selling. It was crazy because it wasn't like an inexpensive guitar. It's a very expensive guitar. So when I saw that interview, I thought that was interesting that, you know, he was like, I'm not sure, pretty sure it's in the top three. <laughs> and like, you know, like we were saying, it's the third of the top three, but you're like, but... That's crazy impressive. So, any thoughts on that? 
Do, do you guys think that's a guess where I'm going with this? Do you think John Petrucci or John Mayer or uh, artists that sell an insane amount of guitars through a brand, you think they should think about the um, the Solar Old England thing? Somebody mentioned Solar, the Eddie Van Halen thing, the Zach Wild thing. You think they should go on their own thing? Would you guys Would you guys buy a Silver Sky if it didn't say PRS and it just said John Mayer on it and it was made by some uh, you know other ghost built by a company because that's essentially what happens with evh it's built by fender right so in other words paul reed smith can make the silver sky but it won't say paul reed smith it will just say john Mayer. or is that too far is it only eddie gets that privilege that's the that's the crazy part like i said i i personally i think eddie's kind of special that way that having his own brand on there seems cool but i don't know if i would buy a guitar that said petrucci on it i don't know if i'd say i buy a guitar that said Tremani on it or a guitar that says Mayor on it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a crazy thing. Yeah, see, Watch Stuff 6, thank you. I, this is a great comment. Uh, Watch Stuff 6 says, Silver Skies are selling that well because PRS has such a great, uh, oh, says has uh, such a strong quality brand. I, I agree. There's, there's definitely a little bit of that. Um, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I think with the same thing with Steve I and Ibanez. Steve I had, uh, you know, he has his brand. It's strong. Ibanez has a brand strong and them coming together was just a good combo. So interesting. I was wondering about that. I agree with you a little bit too, that I just don't know if they would hold on their own, but it's crazy to think that they become such big parts of these companies. It's almost like, like if you're a guitar company, man, if you could just find the right... <laughs> <laughs> the right guitar player to, to to be aligned with is it's funny how many of us say oh how stupid that is but yet then later looking back i mentioned the silver sky i've said this a million times um the silver sky was the first guitar on in my being a youtube channel that when it came out everyone was i hated talking about it. every time i mentioned the silver sky everyone was like it's stupid it's just a strat this is dumb it was an onslaught of the internet just telling you how horrible it was and then it became like the number one selling guitar for PRS <laughs> that year. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Controversy works, I guess. So, uh, Dave says EVH was a tinkerer. Makes sense that he'd uh, have his own company. Yeah, I mean, I think John Mayer's a little bit of a tinkerer as well. I mean, not as an extreme in that way, but you know, I, I've said this before. You definitely get a sense there's guitar players. Like when we learned, if you guys watched the interview I did with Petrucci, of course, there's tons of great interviews, but the one I did where he was talking about designing the guitar, I mean, you could tell he was very passionate about it. He wanted his own guitar and he wanted it the way he wanted it. And that guitar is very extreme. <laughs> it's a, that's a crazy guitar, the, uh, the Petrucci guitar. So... I don't know. Interesting thing. Like I said, uh, check out that article. Like I said, I thought it was good talk, a little good banter, a little fun to talk about. And, and of course, again, shocked to hear it. LPD pedal says, if the internet thinks it's a bad idea, you might want to invest. I, I have found that to be somewhat true. <laughs> What, what is it? I just learned this week. It's just, uh, you got, everybody knows this answer, but I just saw it this week in my own stats. Uh, I was looking at, uh, in, uh, what do they call it? Not interaction stats. I'm sorry. They call it engagement. I was looking at my engagement stats on my channel in the last 90 days. Cause that's what I look at. Cause I, you know, like anybody, I'm trying to make the best content I can make. And 
anything that has anything to do with being negative <laughs> in any way had way more engagement than engagement than anything positive. And I was like, of course. <laughs> so if I if I say I don't like something, pe more people will watch that and watch it longer than if I say I like something. And I just laugh. I'm like, yep, that's uh, uh, I it's not not new information by any means, but um, um, yeah. Ian's Guitar Shack says, I'm still not interested in buying a Silver Sky. Other PRS guitars, yes. Yeah, of course. I understand that too. I have a Silver Sky. I really like it. I don't know. Well, I don't know. It's not my favorite PRS by any means. I'm looking at it right now. It's not even It's not even close. But it's a good guitar. So, a lot of good comments. I love this, guys. All right, let's uh, let's grab some more some more stuff. I have uh, some cool questions that the members gave. Uh, Vim sixty nine also did a member question uh, earlier today. I let them uh, ask me some questions, uh, and he said Tyler Larson. He's talking about Tyler from Music Is Win. Uh, says did a video where he bought a sitar. I saw that. I saw. I didn't see the video. I saw the posting on his Instagram. It says, have you experimented with alternate alternate instruments? I have not. Um, not any, even a little <laughs> at all. Uh, I play the bass and I play the guitar. I try to play piano a little bit. I have enough piano to go like, this is the basics piano. That's it. Um, no, I've never, maybe the ukulele, but that's not really like an old, you know, that much, but, um, no, no, uh, no, I haven't. Um, if I was, and that's not, you know, that's a cool, horrible answer, right? You're like, no, <laughs> but it, it's not for any reason then, you know, I'm still trying to master the instrument I have. And so trying something else just seems like, you know, uh, a waste of, not a waste of energy and effort, but I mean, I feel like I could put more energy into what I need to do, which is my guitar and my bass. But I will tell you this, if I was to try another instrument, it would be the banjo by far. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe I'm because I'm a Steve Martin fan. Maybe because I'm a huge Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones and Bella Fleck fan. I've seen Bella Fleck uh, a bunch of times and Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones many times. As you guys seen the Cosmic Hippo sometimes around the room. Um, huge fan. Uh, Bella Fleck is definitely like, uh, uh, <laughs> he, he is, he is the person that I watched and I go, man, I, at, in the same time I went, I want to play the banjo and never play the banjo <laughs> because I was like, man, he inspired. He's like, he's so amazing. I just want to do that. And I don't think I could ever do that. So I'm just gonna stay away from it. Um, but yeah, if I was going to do another instrument, it would be the banjo. So sadly enough, I, but I've never, never tried any other instruments. Um, we, uh, the, another one, another one I got was, uh, from Ken. Ken says, Hey, a good Friday to everybody. He says, Ben, Ben, <laughs> he's Ken, but he's been holding out for an original Dane Electro original 59. As you guys know, I've, I've reviewed the 59 NOS, uh, re the reissues. He's a lefty. So it's hard to find. It's absolutely hard to find. It's hard to find period. Then lefty makes it worse. Uh, he goes, is there enough difference in tone from the 59 NOS to keep me uh, waiting? I, I'm, again, sometimes, the you know, sometimes I'm the right guy to ask a question to. Sometimes I'm the wrong guy to ask a question to. This is where I will always be the wrong guy to ask a question to. Whenever you guys ask me, like I told you guys, I warned you guys, if you ask me, should I buy a guitar? I'm always going to say yes, just because I want to. And if you ever ask me, should you buy a vintage guitar at some kind of high price or reissue? I'm always going to say the reissue. Um, 
And it's never because I'm going to say it's just as good. I'm not saying that the new 59 NOS is as good as the old Dana Electro one. What I'm saying is, is that they're a fraction of the price and they're really, really good. To me, owning an original guitar, there is some mojo there because it's been played for many years. It's a little broken in. But as someone who's worked on guitars for a long time, what I will tell you is how I'm just going to be kind and say six out of 10. I kind of feel like I could say eight, eight out of 10, six out of 10 times when I worked on a vintage guitar, it was a piece of crap. I mean, all of them, they're just crap. A lot of them are not great. I find that most times you can get your hands on a, a used guitar. Um, it's somebody getting rid of something that they know is not as good. <laughs> they know it's not great. It's just got the collector's value. For instance, like they have the Strat. It's a 64 Strat, but it's jacked up. You know what I mean? And they'll sell it. When I find that it's really good, they don't want to sell it. And if they do, they want crazy money for it. So I, and I, I say this because what one of the hardest things to do, which is why I don't want to do it, <laughs> is when somebody buys something old, vintage and it doesn't play or sound great, and they want you to fix it. And what they really want you to do is make it be this iconic thing, and you can't. You know, I'm like, okay, I'll fix it. And the more you fix it, the more you ruin and devalue it. It's kind of, you know, so for instance, we refret it and stuff like that. So a lot of times I tell people just like, you know, if you want that, I understand you want that. You should get the thing you want. You work hard, spend your money, it's your money. (laughs) But, you know, in a world... Uh, you know, where you can buy the reissues that are really good quality and you know what you're getting, you know what I mean? And you have a great return. I mean, you can buy a 59 NOS um, uh, Dan Electro from an online store or your mom and pop store and have a great return policy, get the one you want, know it plays great. There it is. And I guess if it's really going to eat at you, you don't have the original one, then you got to, you know, you're going to have to pay for the original one. You're going to have to find it, uh, do what you're going to do. But if you're asking me, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to do it. And so, you know, I don't just say that uh, like everything I'm, I'm telling you from experience. I bought the guitars. Um, the first thing I did is what a lot of players do, did. I bought some of the guitars from my birth year. <laughs> and it was horrible because at the end of the day, even though I found good ones, I paid through the nose from them. And the only thing I could tell you was great about them was every single one of them. This is where you don't have regrets. Every single guitar and bass that I bought that was vintage uh, when I went through this little travel, I sold for more than what I paid because that's what happens. They go up in value and you can sell them. So as investments, there's an argument there. But as a, is this as good? They can be. Some of them are magical because they were built really well and they've been worked in right or maybe they weren't worked <laughs> in right. Um, but man, most of the time, you're just not getting that that thing you think you're getting. You're getting this very average instrument that's been abused for a long time because Part of the problem is a lot of these guitars, especially the older ones, no one knew they were collectors. Like no one would thought of Dane Electro as being a collector's piece. So a lot of them abuse them. They they spend a lot of time not in cases like in the corner of a of a bedroom being destroyed. BC Rich five eighty one says bases sucked in the early seventies, so I have zero interest in buying one from my birth year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, some of you are going to have different experiences and that's absolutely true. You're going to say, oh, I have a vintage guitar and it's fantastic. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I'm saying that's rare. It is harder to get a good vintage guitar than it is to get a bad one. Is that right? It's harder to get a good one than a bad one. You can find the bad ones really easy. 
So, you know where I really learned that? It's not even working on them. You know where I learned that? Through my friends that are that are physical resellers, collector sellers. Like the, I told you, I have friends that do this for a living. They they buy and sell used instruments for a living. There's a lot of people do it, but I mean, I'm talking about friends that you know, they they make you know crazy money a year doing this. Uh, you know, kind of money we all wish made. We wish. And what I can tell you is. Every once in a while when they get a guitar that's legit, they go, oh, I'm not selling that. They go, put it away. I see it all the time. And I never really thought about it when I would talk to them. They're like, oh, I got a blah, 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 and I have some guitar. I can't think of a reference. Let's say they got a, like I said, a 64 Strat or 62 Strat. 62 Strat's a good one. 62 Strat. And they'll go, it's a rare color. And I go, cool. And they go, but it plays great. And I go, all right. And they go, I could get crazy money for it, but I'm going to put it away. Because they know. They know if it's really good. Um, I had a guy bring in a 59 P base in for repair and, um, and, uh, he told me I was, I was working on it. It was fantastic. It was probably one of the best playing sounding bases I've ever heard. So again, like I said, I understand the whole vintage thing. And when it was a magical piece of, it was a magical piece of gear. It just had something going on. And, uh, I don't remember the exact amounts. So just just bear with me. I'm going to throw some numbers that these were comparative. That makes sense. I think he said, yeah, I blue booked it and it's worth like eight. And I said, if you sold this to a real musician that could play it, they'd give you double that. And I, and I said, absolutely. And then I remember I hooked him up with one of my friends that does do this. And I remember they didn't give him double, but they gave him like, they gave him more than what the blue book was by far amount. Cause they said the same thing. They go, who I'm going to sell this to is not even going to care what it costs. They're going to just want it from how it sounds and plays. Cause I remember thinking that day, like when I was playing it going, I can't afford this. <laughs> this is, this is, this is a car. So, uh, next we have, uh, what do we have? We have Ian. What does Ian want to know? Ian says, Hey, Phil, gassing for a PRS semi-hollow mirror, okay? He says, is it like an SG? Yeah, I like the mirror because it's like an SG. It's slightly different. The neck carves different, but it's a, it vibes. It's a thin body guitar. It's kind of just mahogany, does the thing. Uh, he goes, heard good things about the semi-hollow custom SEs and the semi-hollow Vela. The Vela, I love the Vela. I have a Vela behind me as well. The Vela is a great guitar. It's just a different animal. Uh, than the mirror. The mirror, I would say, is like an SG. The Vela is kind of like a, I don't know what it's like. Kind of like, it reminds me of like a, a, a quirky 60s guitar. It's got that cool sound that you get out of certain guitars from the 60s when they were experimenting with crazy pickups and doing cool things with guitars. The Vela's got that kind of vibe. We all float here, said. <laughs> Hi, Phil. I'm looking at doing a seven string mod project on an agile. Uh, I might that he, okay. Th that you might buy. So he's looking at buying an agile. Um, I need a good seven string passive pickup for Deathcore metalcore thoughts. Uh, PA path, uh, by DiMarzio. Absolutely. My favorite seven string pickup. Um, uh, and definitely for metalcore for, for all death core, all that stuff. It's what I would use for any guitar seven string, the seven string guitars, I mean, you could go EMGs, you could go Actives, you could go Fishman's, you can go all kinds of the places. I like the Active stuff too. Um, the, the thing about seven string guitars is that when you get that low string, right? Eight string, seven string guitars. When you get that low string, you're inviting a lot of problems. <laughs> There's a lot of mud in that tone. And 
then you're running all that gain on the amp. And the last thing you want is the pickups making the problem worse. I've learned the, the, the that just there's something about uh, how DiMarzio basically came up with the PAF uh, version of the PAF for the seven string. I think it was just the best one. And that's what I use in my seven strings. And I love it. Um, after that, I like EMGs. Which is a totally different thing. It's a totally different thing. But both do the same thing, which is clarity, which is what I think you want. If you're running all that low, low, you know, all that low gain and all that, or heavy gain, I should say. Low tuning, heavy gain, don't, I wouldn't go, uh, you know, really heavy pickups. That's just my two cents. Paul says, what is, what's a good current price for a setup? Okay, I have recently left my, two humbucker Bigsby solid body at my local shop expecting 50 to $75. It was 160, which is what I've been predicting for the last couple of years. Okay. For an un unpolished guitar, that's fine. Not great. Rip off question mark. Well, again, when it comes to repair work, it's going to be, it's going to be different depending on your location, where you are, you know, in the world, uh, in the country, obviously economics are a big part of this, you know, First of all, just look at, you know, minimum wage, like where I live in Arizona, minimum wage is, is, is high. Some states have lower minimum wage, some states have higher. So, I mean, that's going to be affecting that, of course, right? That's, you know, what we will work for, cost of living, all this stuff. What I will tell you is this. When I started doing repair, there was a weird thing that I didn't understand, but I went with it because it's what everyone does, which is this kind of like oil change kind of pricing logic. Like an oil change is this much. And then maybe there's an upcharge if you have a truck. So it's like oil change, X dollars with the truck, X, you know, a little bit more. And that's all oil changes. So whether it's a, what this car, you know, doesn't matter what the car is. Okay. R guitar repair is kind of the same weird way. It was kind of like set up $50. And, but here's the thing, setting up a, a I don't want to say Squire because that's kind of picking on them, but setting up an inexpensive student guitar and setting up a Paul Reed Smith is a massive different experience. I can set up a, a, if you give me a really nice guitar to set up, I can do it in minutes. <laughs> it's just quick adjustments. You're checking a couple frets. You know what I mean? It's just a very easy experience. The irony is the majority of guitars, and again, everybody's going to be different depending on your, your demographics where you're at, but majority of guitar techs uh, that are doing most of the work across the country here in the U.S. are working on inexpensive guitars, which take more work than the expensive guitars. So that's just how it works. So the irony is that you charge the same rate for multiple different guitars, even though some guitars can take you two hours and some guitars can take you 20 minutes. And I guess the logic has always been like the average rule, but the average rule never worked because you'll do 10 Squires and two Paul Reed Smiths and the Paul Reed Smiths request required a lot less work. I think where a lot of guitar techs have been leaning, which is what I talked about on a hundred episodes ago, by the way, on this show. That's a while back, right? So that's two years, three years ago. Um, I said more techs are going to start looking at hourly rates, which as that comes into play, it's going to get expensive fast. Like if you want an hour of my time, that's essentially how a lot of industries work. An hour of time is going to cost you, and this is how much it's going to cost you. And once that starts to happen, which is why I wanted to do more and more videos on how to do your own, like I said, your own setups, which is why I've done so many videos. Videos. That's why it's great. There's so many, I didn't do anything new. There's tons of videos on how to do repair, but I've done a lot. I continue to do them. But however, this is why I think you're going to need these skill sets. I think the average guitar player 
non-professional, professional, you name it, it's going to need to learn to do some basic stuff. Otherwise, you're going to pay through the nose because the guitar tech is going to literally go, okay, whether I change the strings and that takes me 20 minutes or I solder in a pickup, I charge the same rate. Even though the difficulty range is higher, it's just because it's just going to be hourly rates and those hourly rates are going to get things expensive real fast because, you know, that's just how it will go. So um, I'm not shocked to hear that. Somebody just put plect. Well, think about this. I did a, I did a, I, I bought a Squire from Sweetwater and I had it plect. Like I said, that's a non-sponsored video. I did that because I wanted to, again, show you guys, this is what you can get. Since doing that video, I think the plect went up another 50 bucks or a hundred dollars. Plecks are great. They're going up too. Um, so again, you're going to have to get used to, to paying for it. Um, what's scary about this is, is how many times I hear somebody say, oh, I only charge $20 to do a setup. And then in within two, three minutes of a conversation with them, I go, oh man, <laughs> their credentials are like, I, uh, I set up my own guitar once and I'm ready to give me your guitar. I'm ready to, I got a screwdriver and I hope this all works out for you. Um, you know, it, it, like I said, there is something to say for quality workmanship. A Obviously, what's very important is some kind of history of work, right? These are things you love. And and uh, so you're going to, like I said, you're either going to have to learn to pay or you're going to learn to do it a little bit yourself. And that's the two things I would suggest that you check into, like I said. and um, But when it comes to the part of the question that I can't answer is what is... Do, do I think $160 for a basic setup, you know, because you're saying an unpolished guitar, a basic setup is a lot. I think that's a crazy amount of money. However, that's what I keep saying. And I think a lot of it is uh, you see companies like Sweetwater and Paul Reed Smith, and they're doing setups now on the, you know, guitars. You could send stuff to Sweetwater or to Paul Reed Smith guitars. They have the CTP program or PTC program where you can send guitars to them and they set them up. And their rates are crazy too, right? Uh, and and, uh, and get, so the rates are just going to get crazier and crazier as we've seen. So, um, I was looking at your guitar, two humbucker with a Bigsby. Yeah. I would say Paul, you know, or try to find a local guy that you trust and he gives you good rates. I will tell you this. Um, I've called it sweethearting. Uh, I think it's because my mom was a cashier at a grocery store and that's the first time I heard it when I was a kid. I don't know if, uh, uh, so that's the term. Sweethearting, I guess my mom explained sweethearting is when like a cashier, like your your neighbor would show up and then, uh, by the way, I want to point out, my mom didn't do this. <laughs> this is important. Uh, but my mom would talk about what what it, what it was, was, was your you know neighbor would come to the grocery store and buy stuff and then sweethearting mean you didn't scan everything. So like, you'd like boop and then boop and then, boop <laughs> and just their bill was low and it was called sweethearting and um and i remember that because my mom said something once about sweethearting somebody was sweethearting and i go i don't know what that means and she told me so now hold on as i split my water um i call it sweethearting uh because i do it all the time uh which is where all of a sudden which by the way i own the thing so i don't care <laughs> i'm stealing for myself i steal for myself all the time uh you know, I just, all of a sudden I go, I'm not charging for that or I'll only charge you for this. Yeah. So what I'm going to tell you is that uh, this is what I've learned. It's really, it's really a common thing in the repair world where if you go to the same repair person all the time, they tend to not only give you a better rate, a little faster service, or at least they should. If they're not, you know, I want you to think about that. Why aren't they? 
Um, but also, like I said, sometimes, you know, like I'll look at something and if I say, okay, I want $75 for an hour and I look at something and although I'm trying to stick to that because in theory, that's how I, you know, you make, you pay your bills. I'll look at your thing and I go, it's only gonna take me 10 minutes. And I'll go, you know what? Just give me like 15 bucks. You know what I mean? You just come up with some number that makes sense that, you know, you feel like you paid something. I feel like I got something and we get the work done. So I guess my point is, is that, um, is Paul, another piece of advice to you is, if you don't like this, the price of this, that's one thing, that's for sure. But I would definitely try to seek out a guitar tech or luthier that you know, you know, that you can build a, a relationship with, uh, and it will pay dividends that way, because you want somebody who's like, you know, if I've charged somebody a few, you know, if you if I've done like five ten year guitars and you send me a text and you're like, hey, I got a guitar and it's acting up, and you tell me the situation and it's like, oh, that's real fast. I'll be like, just let me tweak it real quick and I'll go, Boop, and then here you go and. How much, Phil? Like, nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we have this relationship. So build a working relationship with somebody. Learn to do some of the work yourself. That's definitely going to be helpful. And, um, and of course, you know, um, I don't know. I think that's the best advice I can give. I'm sure some of the other people have comments too. But, the, but to give you the answer to that 160 again, I don't think that's the right, I don't think that's a good price, but I keep hearing those numbers over and again. I've heard it getting crazier and crazier. So Jeff says, hey, Phil, I have a Les Paul with push-pull pots. Knob pulls off sometimes without pulling up. <laughs> okay. How do I fix it? Uh, it's witch hat. Uh, okay. So we've got witch hat nose, if that matters. Um, pull. Okay. So the knob pulls off. Sometimes. So yeah, you're pulling it and the whole thing, including the shaft comes out. That's because at the bottom of that shaft, you'll see a little cut into the, into it. And that's where a little circular pen would go. I don't know if you call it a pen. It's probably a ring. It's a compression ring. The compression prings popped off. You can disassemble that pot and fix it. <laughs> I have done it maybe twice. Uh, never for a customer because it's just insane. <laughs> right for time wise for me i can solder in a new pot in 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 minutes and they'd be on their way but uh as a broke person in that situation i was like i just you just got to bend the the tabs and then start pulling that whole thing apart and then you put it back together uh me personally here's what i'm going to tell you uh you know you super chat me five bucks i'm assuming you got five bucks i hope you got another five bucks i'd buy a new pot and just install the new pot that's it and then uh that's how you that's how i'd fix that uh, that's, you know, they're cheap parts and they're made to be replaced. There you go. Otherwise, like I said, you got to take it apart and get that compression ring back on there. Uh, David says, I was gifted a base with TV Jones humbuckers. I love TV Jones pickups. Uh, they look kind of like Filtertrons. That's essentially TV, TV, uh, TV Jones is like Filtertrons. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I like the sound. Any cool info, opinions on these pickups? I love TV Jones. <laughs> TV Jones, uh, I. what's the deal with him? I think he's in California, right? And he started making pickups. And he was making Filtertron-style pickups, like clones. And that's essentially what he's doing. He's a Filtertron-style pickup. Um, every Filtertron-style pickup that I have in my guitars is a TV Jones. I just like his brand. I like his pickups. I like what he does. Uh, and I admittedly would tell you this, that's a branding thing. Cause as much as I like his pickups and the quality of the sound 
And because <laughs> again, for true transparency, I've, they've never worked with the channel, but they did stop me once at the NAM show. I was walking by the TV Jones booth and they ran, ran, literally ran up and stopped me and said, we just want to let you know we like your channel. And I go, thanks. <laughs> and uh, so of course I already liked them. And then I go, I like even more now. Um, nothing, nothing wins somebody over like a compliment and uh, more, more than anything else. So it's like, I like the compliment more than free pickups. I'll just keep buying your pickups. So I buy Filtertron pickups, even though I can tell you, uh, you can buy knockoff Filtertron pickups that are, uh, <laughs> that are great. <laughs> um, you can buy Filtertron pickups that are like 60 bucks a set that are fantastic. It's cause some pickups, like I said, with P90s are another example. Some pickups, there's a little bit of difficulty making them in some pickups, the way they're constructed because of the time frame in which they were constructed back in the day uh, is not very difficult. So they can make really good ones really cheap. Uh, okay. Okay, hold on a second. Just reading comments. By the way, I'd like to point out today that I'm having a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun on these shows sometimes, but today, I don't know what it is. Sometimes, sometimes I have, we were talking about earlier uh, uh, anxiety from guitars. Sometimes I have anxiety before I go live. It doesn't happen to me all the time. It just does. Sometimes, today I had anxiety. I think it's because I'm like, I don't know what they're going to talk about because there's not been a lot going on. I just let them join these topics. Um, Mike says, I think he means the knob slips off the shaft. Uh, no, the shaft. Okay. So, so Mike, what I'm saying is the, the knurled top of the shaft is stuck into the knob. What he's talking about is the whole knob comes out and then there's like a shaft sticking out of it, metal shaft, cause it's stuck into the knob. What I'm saying is there's a little, there's a retainer clip at that's supposed to be connected to the bottom of the shaft to stop it from keep going out. So I, again, we I don't have any kind of. I have, I have, oh, yeah, I do. It, look, I don't have, this is like a, a, a knob, <laughs> okay? And the shaft is going to look like this screw, right? And it's going to go inside the the thing, you know, right? You guys seen how, if it had that compression ring right there, and go in there. And this is what it looks like when he pulls it out. For those that are listening, I have a knob with like a metal shaft sticking out. When he's pulling up, it just comes all out like this. I'm sure this is what he's telling me because this happens a lot. And he's looking at it going, what the heck? And the reason is, is because at the bottom of this shaft of this piece of metal that had the, the, the neural, the ring that goes into the knob, there's a little like cut in on it where there was a compression ring to stop it. And at one time it popped, that just popped and the ring now is inside the, the box of the push-pull pot. So like I said, you have to take the pot apart to get to that compression ring and then stick it back in there, put it back on and then kind of piece the, the, the box back because it's all bent tangs, little pieces of metal. It's hard to explain this way. I'm hoping that he has it. He has the problem. So of course to him, this might make sense, but to the rest of you, I hope that illustration helped a little bit. I don't have one right now to show you guys, even downstairs at the shop. Cause they usually, it happens a lot. They just, it's just cheap parts. They break. So Jeff said, just knob, not shaft. So the knob just pops off. Well, then you just need a piece of like plumber's silicone tape around the top. That's even easier. 
I also think you guys just want to hear the word shaft and ring. <laughs> that's that's uh, I, I always fun when the descriptions come this way. Um, okay. Pablo's question was, good afternoon or morning. It's afternoon. Uh, it says, I've been considering a Strat-style guitar. The PRS Silver Sky SE is an obvious choice, I guess, right? I guess because it's a good guitar, uh, obvious choice. However, going through some of your old videos, I remember the Sterling Cutlass. That was a great guitar for the price, too, the C50. Uh, where does more budget guitar like the Cutlass sit now with the Silver Sky? Look, I haven't played the Ert Strat yet, but I'm going to imagine for the price, that's the best deal on the market because the fretwork is great. It probably needs new pickups. The the Music Man Sterling Cutlass is, again, uh, that was when I did the Silver Sky. I was like, well, how's it compared to that? Well, the other one's less expensive. So obviously it's probably a better deal. The Silver Sky SE, and I said it in the video, I, learned, I thought I did, and if I didn't, I talked about it on the follow-up podcast. Silver Sky SE is simple. If you, There's only one real question for anybody, I hope. If you want a Silver Sky, the Silver Sky SE is a quality guitar and you should get it because it, it's a quality guitar. And if you want the Silver Sky, it's that's that's all you need to know. It's quality guitar and it does what the Silver Sky does and it's a good guitar. If you just want a good Strat, there's tons of great Strats out there. It's just an infinity of good good guitars. Uh, not literally the Infinity Strat. That's also a good choice. There's a ton of great options that are less expensive or is the same price for sure than the Silver Sky. But I think the Silver Sky is about wanting the Silver Sky. Or if it's not, you should be, <laughs> because that's the only reason I would buy the Silver Sky. And I, I didn't buy a Silver Sky because I wanted a good Strat. I built a Silver Sky. I bought a Silver Sky because I wanted John Muir Silver Sky. And I was like, oh, it's a good guitar. It's cool. It's a PR, like we were talking about earlier. It's a PRS and a Strat. Like, that's what's cool about it. Um, but like I said, you can find a great Strat at for so many different brands <laughs> at so many good prices. Um. Thurston, Thorsten, Thurston, Thorsten. <laughs> Happy Easter. Uh, love your channel. Helps, helps in weird times. Staying positive. Greetings from Hamburg, Germany. Yes, greetings. I hope you guys are doing great. Um, I have a lot of friends in Germany and, uh, and uh, it's crazy times right now, for sure. Litve did a smiley face with glasses. Thanks, Litve. <laughs> it's really just a picture of me with glasses. Just some bald guy with glasses. Jeff Parker says, Phil, have Phil, have you tried the new Daddario XL nickel coated strings? Uh, I have not. Thoughts? Uh, okay, I'll give you some. Uh, I am a long time Elixir fan, but I am switching all to XL line. Really like them. Um, I don't use, like I've said this before, I don't use coated strings. Um, I'll use a little bit of coated strings for acoustic guitars. And I, I do have a pack of coated strings is because I, I, I've learned this little trick for me, which is I will buy a set of coated strings and put them on a guitar that I know I'm never going to play. And I mean, never meaning very, very often. I'm not going to, I'm not going to play it very often because one of the things that sucks about guitar, uh, a guitar you don't play very often is you like to have it. And if you ever want to use it, you get it out and you get it out. And then the strings are all just old. Cause it's been a year since you played this guitar. Um, so I'll put uh, some kind of coated string on them because that way I know when I pull it out of the case, it's still fresh and, and good. So that's the only time I personally use coated strings. It's because I'm not, I'm nothing wrong with coated strings. It's just not my thing. I use, I, I'm 
broken record when it comes to strings. I'll use the string joy strings for when I want something exotic, like the different gauges and stuff. I love them for that. And then I use Daddario um, tens and sometimes Daddario nines, not very often, but I use Daddario tens and I use Daddario pure nickels. I have not tried. I think somebody told me that, that string joy makes pure nickels, but I use the Daddario pure, pure nickels. And again, I love to say like, they're my favorite strings, the Daddario guys or whatever. It's not that it's like I told you before, I really like the owner Scott of string joy. I really like, um, the, the guys at Daddario. They're really cool. I like both those brands. The quality is very good. It's just kind of like, and it has nothing to do with YouTube. Cause these are both the relationships I made just separate, just meeting them and just going, you know, I like them. And I like how excited they are about their stuff. Um, Jim and John Diodario, Diodario, I, I told you guys this. I met them at a, I don't know, to this day, I still do not know why I was there. <laughs> um, there's a beautiful museum in Arizona. I don't, think about this, I'll start here. I don't know why, like everybody in Arizona, we don't know why the museum's here. There's a beautiful musical instrument museum in Arizona. If you, Arizona's a nice place, don't get me wrong, but if you ever go to that museum, it looks like it should belong in New York. It's just breathtakingly amazing as a, as a musical, it's just an in, instrument museum of all these musical instruments. And one day I got an invitation to go to like one of those lavish, like things at the museum where you go after the museum closes <laughs> and, and they have wine and drinks and you walk the whole museum, you can do whatever you want. There's security, but they're in suits and they keep an eye on everybody, but you can do whatever you want. You're like walking around the museum. There's like nobody there. It's at night. And I was invited. This is, I wasn't even on, I didn't, hadn't made a single YouTube video my whole life. <laughs> just, just got invited to go. And it was for Daddario was being, got their own exhi exhibit and Jim and John Daddario were there, which, and I saw them and I was like, hi. And my wife and her friend went, it was a black tie, you know, affair. It was like, we're all dressed up to the nines. I, I, I should just say this because I look just because I want to. Um, I wore a custom suit <laughs> that I had made. And when I say custom, I bought a pair of Vans that I love because I like Vans. And I had this suit custom made to match my Vans. So I wore a, a real suit, but I wore Vans. <laughs> but no one knew I wear Vans. They were like made to look like they were, it was, it was dumb. Uh, but it made me happy. <laughs> so anyways, we went. And, uh, you know, it was all fancy, like you could imagine, you know, holding your little wine glass and, <laughs> and, uh, and I met John and Jim Daddario and, uh, talked to them and they were super nice. And, uh, yeah, somebody said like a socialite. Yeah, it's exactly what it felt like. It was really crazy. And we did the thing and they did the ribbon cutting ceremony. We saw the exhibit and then we talked and this is funny. I told them that I love tape wound bass strings. Uh, and I said, but, um, I played at the time I was playing mostly five strings and then make a set of type one five strings. And I think it could have been a month later, but it could have been like two weeks. I don't even know how they got my address or anything. Uh, a set of custom tape wound five string bass strings showed up and a little note, you know, saying, thanks. You know, it was great talking to you. Here's custom set. We're going to put them in production and oops. And, uh, so, you can imagine. I, I like Daddario strings now. <laughs> they were it was a really cool thing. And like I said, we we um what we thought was, so you know, when we went there, what I thought had happened was they invited all the Daddario dealers in town. That's what I thought. You know, I had a store, so I was like, okay, I'm a dealer. So I thought maybe they invited all the dealers. When we got there, there was like no dealers, there was nobody there, it was just all these people, and they were all from this museum society. 
And there, and everybody was like, "What do you do?" And I go, oh, "I work on guitars." And they're like, "Oh, <laughs> whatever it whatever it was was not impressive." What I said, you know, <laughs> like you know, and then I, what you asked my wife, "What do you do?" And she goes, "I run a, a lesson ac academy. I run all this. I take care of all the students and the teachers." And they're like, "Oh, that's cool." And they're like. And they're like, uh, you know, and they were like said, they were all these like socialite type people, very cool people, very cool people. I don't want to come off like they were snotty or all. They were actually great. But but I think they were even like, and to this day, we don't know who invited us, how we got there, why we got the invitations, any of that stuff, or how, why they took care of us afterwards. But that's what happened. I think my wife's running theory is that somebody at Didario who likes me just thought I'd probably want to go. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so I like them and I like those strings. So those are the strings I use, but I, I, like I said, I haven't tried their coded strings. Maybe I'll give them a shot. You seem pretty excited about them. And, uh, I like the idea that, uh, I can't imagine they cost more than elixirs. So we'll see. Uh, Mike says, I got a new Fender Ultra Strat from my mom and pop store here. Okay. Great guitar. Have you played one? And what is your opinion? Enjoy your live uh, show very much keep it going. Thank you. I will, I will do that. We'll keep it. I was going to quit today. This is the last show, but now because of Mike, we're going to next week. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for the compliment. Um, I have played the ultra strat. I've played the ultra strat and the ultra telly. I have an ultra telly down in the shop right now as we speak. It's from another YouTube channel that sent one. They were sent one from Fender and then they sent it to me. Not to review. We're going to Cut it in half and... No, I'm just kidding. We're going to do something to it. Um, uh, very cool guitars. Uh, they're modern Fenders. And I've never been a huge modern Fender person. I think they're great uh, as, as the modern Fender tech as thing. As you guys know, I like the modern stuff. But when it comes to Fenders and Gibsons, I tend to like the more like historic type guitars. Like, you know, less of the, the, the modernized ones. Very cool guitars, though. Um, a couple of my friends have them. They like them. I like them. But... Um, and when it comes to strats, it's almost impossible for me to justify another one. In fact, I'm getting rid of strat right now. As you know, I bought the, uh, the custom shop in December, which means something had to go. And so now it's officially going. It's, uh, my blue strat. I know. And that's sad. I'm like, I'm going to go away. So makes me sad, but I told you guys many times, if something comes in, something goes out. Uh, I have no idea. E-S-A-N-P-R in Cincinnati says, <laughs> I got a PRS-CE. That's the bolt-on PRS made in USA. Uh, used, mint condition, but I regret it a little bit. Uh, you think there are still better from the S2 stead. I like the PRS-CE. Um, uh, you didn't say you got the new one versus the old one. The old ones are different, you know, when they years ago when they were thicker bodies and like different. I like the PRS CE uh, a lot. <laughs> so, um, and I like the PRS S2. Uh, so, I guess the question is, do I think it's still better than than basically the S2? I think it's like the S2. There's things I like about the CE. Um, I like that it's bolt on. I like the natural feel of the neck. I like that it's a pattern thin, although like I said, the new S2 custom 2408 has a pattern thin neck. That's really cool. Um, and, uh, no, I like, uh, I like the SCE. Look, my, I'm going to get a CE. I had a, uh, re reclaimed one. I sold it and I like the reclaimed one, the semi hollow, but I, I kind of want something different. And 
My whole thing on uh, CE, I know I'm going to get a CE. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to get the CE because um, when Nathan made me that beautiful custom 24 that I have, as you guys know, I have a beautiful custom 24 in a Risa Verde, and it's a very horrible, it's not a horrible, it's a stupid thing to say, but it's a very odd uh, feeling when you're playing Nathan, the guitar Nathan made for me, and I'm looking at this other expensive custom 24 that I'm not playing, and I go, well, I'm not playing that. And I'm not going to ever play that. I'm never going to not play the one Nathan made me to play the one that I bought. So I go, that needs to go. So I'm like, well, what would I want to do with it? And I think I want to sell it and get a CE, but I haven't found the right CE yet. But that's what's going to happen. So I like the CE. If you are got it and you're not loving it, there's some things probably not to love about it, but I like it. I like that the carve isn't as dramatic. It's a little bit more comfortable. I like the bolt-on neck feel. Um, the 85-15 pickups sound good. I like everything about it. So there you go. Randy Crooks, Crooks, like Crooks Tellies, like the guitar company, says, I know you have been thinking of getting an Epiphone semi-hollow. I highly recommend an ES-339. I, uh, I used to own an ES-339 Gibson many years ago. Loved it. Um, just got one from AMS, and I'm in love with it. I always liked the ES-339. Smaller body, a little different. I have an ES-335. Uh, so you guys know, I want an Epiphone semi-hollow for the channel to do a video. I have secured all the things I need to do those videos. Not the uh, the semi-hollow from Epiphone, but I got a semi-hollow from another company that's comparable. We're going to be talking about that. And I got another cool Epiphone to do on the channel. So, very cool. I'm glad you like it. I think they're cool. They, um, they're basically kind of make the ES-335 feel more like your Les Paul. It was kind of not so big, just kind of nice. Fernando says, hey, Phil, have you ever tried a brunette, I'm going to say Brunetti amp from Italy? I'm loving mine. I have not. That's the downfall of, of this. There's so many cool little iconic, not iconic, but cool little brands in Europe that make amps and guitars and really cool. And there's just, they just, you know, they just have the money to send those products to the U.S. to get them checked out. But I would love to. I've offered as many of them as I can. Um, and the pandemic's made it impossible. So, you know, I have, I had at least 12 companies in Europe, amps and guitars combined, that were going to send products to the channel. And we had worked it out, you know, tons of back and forth, getting it all figured out. Um, and that's the pandemic killed all of that. And so all of it's fell to the wayside because it was all, this, it's the pen, when I say pandemic, it's the guitar boom. They all were like, we're selling so many guitars now. Why do any videos? So, uh, and it's a kind of a double-edged sword now with the video content now. It's like I got so many companies like, I don't have any product to send to a channel, so we can't send it. And on the other hand, I have so much videos to do right now. I mean, right now, I've been scheduling August. I just started scheduling August videos. So if you're a company and you're like, hey, I want to do a video, unless there's some kind of urgency or reason to shuffle you, because what I got to do is I got to pull you and I got to take another company out and put you there and push them back, or I got to do an extra video, which is, you know, a time. I got to figure out how to get that time and get it out there done. Um, so companies right now, that's how many, that's how many videos I'm pushed out on right now. It's August. So it's, a, it's happening to everybody. Swizz <laughs> eight seven one 
says, I'm at the at a crossroads. He's not at the crossroads, so he's not making any kind of deals with the devil or anything, but he's at a crossroads. Phil, I want to buy a rare Vox AC30. But for some for the same amount, I can use that money to get a decent home recording setup. Okay. The only amp I have at the moment is a Boss Katana. Any words of wisdom? I do. If you're looking at a rare AC30, that's what you're saying, okay? Um, when it comes to... We know the used market's been building up. In other words, more used gear now uh, available at Reverb. Prices coming down on used gear for sure. Absolutely for sure. Um... I hear, you know, both sides. I hear people going, I don't know. I'm still looking at things and they're up. There's things that are still up, but the majority of stuff has been coming down. And I can tell you right now, if you really want to know where prices on used gear is, is this. Just go to Reverb, take and look and find three or four things that you're looking at Reverb that you'd like to buy used and follow them. Hit the follow button, you know, right? Um, is that what it's called? Right? The watch button. Hit the watch button. If you want to know where the used market is right now, I don't care what it is that you're interested in. Find two or three of them right now. Not right now. <laughs> Let's finish the show. Hit watch on them. And mark my words, within a week, two of them will contact you to give you a reduced rate. It's been happening like crazy. Um, so because they're not moving, so they'll contact you. In the most part, there's still a few things selling here and there. So uh, with that being said, that the market is softening, there's more used gear, the prices are coming down, I would still say... This is where you're conflicted. I think a recording setup is the correct thing to have. It's going to make you uh, help you make music. And if you're making music semi-professionally or professionally, I would say do that. Make music. That's always the right decision. However, if you're going to make music for fun and it's not the it's not something that's of of paramount importance to you, I will tell you that that recording gear is going to devalue and is an investment that Vox is a better investment. So you have to decide if you're, so basically what I'm telling you is invest in yourself in both ways, either invest in yourself in making music. And then that's the right decision. If, if you're not making music for some kind of, you know, like, like I said, some kind of adventure, uh, venture, then invest in the amp. Either way, it'll pay a dividend. The amp will pay a dividend to you, uh, later. Look, this whole, uh, thing with amps, what I can tell you is I have all the amps that I really kind of want. I'm very happy to have the collection of amps I have even though I pretty much don't use them anymore. <laughs> um, it's not about that. It's about the fact that, like I said, they are going to get harder and harder to get. That's just how it's going to happen. It has nothing to do with the tube crisis. has nothing to do with the economy. All those things are important. They all factor in. The main thing is, is this. We are seeing a decline. Again, regardless of the tube problem, regardless of the economy that I just said, tube amps, are going to continue to decline as players do find these alternative ways to create sound with with plugins, with, uh, you know, like I said, these uh, modelers, these profilers. I mean, that's just, again, again, it's not winning. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying uh, it's still gaining momentum. They're gaining momentum. Uh, Eddie, Eddie says, hey, Phil. I've uh, been looking into a Captor X to record a Vox AC30 quietly. Dumb question. Would I connect the external cab out or do you need to open it up? 
So you have a Vox AC30. You want to run the Captor X. Okay. So you have to run the amp. Again, I don't remember the AC30. I don't remember what plugs it has, connections. You have to run the amp out into the Captor X and then out to the speaker. Would I connect an external cab? You can. You can use the internal speaker too. You just have to create, make sure you have quarter inch plugs. So if you have, if it has two wires coming out and they're just going right to that uh, cabinet, you can take those out, solder them up to a, a, a quarter inch plug, plug that into the Captor X and then run another plug in the back of the Captor X and then cut the two wires and then kind of put them right on the, or install terminals into the cabinet. So in other words, you can run an external cabinet or you can do it internally. It's a very easy thing to do. You have those options. Grumpy Mike Guitar says, when are we going to get another factory tour? <laughs> uh, when we travel. <laughs> uh, do you have any in the works? I do. I have some traveling coming up right at, uh, not right immediately now, but I have traveling uh, coming up. I'm actually working on all the traveling stuff right now as we speak. So there'll be some tours of stuff, obviously location type stuff, as we venture back out into the wild. So yes, the answer is that that's coming. Chad says, thoughts on Evertune Bridge? I got a video coming. I have one. We're going to do a video. Uh, I just don't have a priority to, to put that ahead of anything else right now. Uh, I told you guys I want to do one. I am doing one. And the more time I spend with it, the better. So, like, you know, get that stuff out. Plus, I'm reformatting a couple things in the videos. So, again, I'm trying to... You'll see. You'll see this week. Uh, David says, in my opinion, I think the spark requires an hour of setup before it can be accurately judged. It will be your favorite practice amp, no doubt. Also, the features made it great. Uh, lockdown toy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, definitely, uh, I, like I said, my only complaint about it, actually, the only complaint I have about the spark is, uh, well, besides it's a little bassy, but <laughs> that's not the, it's not the end all. My only complaint is, is exactly that. You have to kind of get in, get into the app and kind of edit a little bit. You had to edit a little bit. Um, but, uh, I still think you can get good sounds out of the box with it, but yeah, you definitely need an app. Like I said, it's the only, it's the thing that I, like I said, I'm kind of apt out right now, but still as, as it goes, it's pretty easy to use. I mean, it's, there's no real huge learning curve to it, but yeah, that's a good suggestion. Good idea. I agree with you. you that, that's an amp you can deep dive into. Pablo says, would you say that there's no such thing as bad gear? Just gear you've not using right. I've been circling back on gear and enjoying it more. Um, I no, <laughs> uh, no. There is stuff that's just not good, right? Um, can you know it's the the old saying? Can you get a good sound out of, out of a piece of gear? Yeah, of course. I mean, think of this: artists can pull strange and beautiful sounds out of things that are not good. So. To say to the extreme what you're saying is like, is there's no such thing as a piece of bad gear? Yeah, and the idea that, yeah, can you make music with anything? Sure. You can take a a crappy sounding uh, pedal that that sounds horrible and you can run sounds through it and put it, you know, in the in the in the music. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with it, but um there is bad sounding gear. The reason I say that is is that uh it's it's the good news is though, there's not as much bad gear now. I mean, it's mostly good sounding stuff um sometimes like you said sometimes when you revisit stuff you're like i forget how good this is sometimes i've revisited stuff it's recent last year or two and 
it was just not very good. And you could argue, like I said, if I apply myself and I keep working with it, well, yeah, but it's kind of like after you burn a piece of meat to, to the point where it's charcoal, you, you, there's only so much A1 sauce. You know, you know what I mean? In other words, yeah, you can make anything good, but the work has to make sense. So I think at the core, Pablo, I agree with you that it's very hard to find a piece, bad piece of gear, but there are out there because some things just sound horrible. But the good news is I don't think that's really now. I think that was more back then. There was just horrible sounding stuff. I know because I go and I rem- I've had it recently where I'm like, I remember that thing sounded good. Let's get another one. And I get it and I go, oh my God, what was, what is this? It's horrible. But yeah, for the most part, I agree with you. Uh, Kingston says, uh, I polish my frets with fret erasers. Okay. They are accumulating a black coating. Do I need to remove it? You know, I don't know if you have to remove it. I have the same black coating on mine and I don't remove it. <laughs> um, I don't know. You could, probably could. I mean, it's as simple as you probably just take it and you I don't know. I was going to, I give you a theory of what you could do, but I haven't removed any of the black coating off mine. I just keep using them. So I haven't had any issues with that. I don't use the fret erasers very much, but when I do, I, I, I haven't had to mess with them or do anything with them. Renee says, hello, I'm trying out a Fender Super Reverb. Line 6 Catalyst 60, Marshall SV20H tomorrow. Okay, those are much different different Tone Master. Okay, so the Super Reverb Tone Master, he said TM, I didn't know what TM was. So Super Reverb Tone Master, the Line 6 Catalyst 60, or the Marshall SV20H, which of course is a tube amp of the three, it's the only tube amp tomorrow. For blues, I wonder what to expect from any thoughts? Um, I... If I'm going to throw a guess, that's okay. maybe what we're going to do. I'm going to say the Super Reverb is going to sound the best. I told you the Tone Master series sounds great. It's just really expensive. And uh, for for what it is, that'd be my guess. <laughs> like looking over my over the screen going, eh, is there like what amps am I using right now? Um, like I said, I liked all three of those amps, but I would say I'd probably pick the Super Reverb the most for blues. And then probably the probably the Marshall and then the Catalyst. Like I said, the Catalyst is great, but the Catalyst is great for the price. Like for what it is, it's a great amplifier, like I said. But I don't think it's in the same league as those other two good amps, but they're also, those two amps are, I mean, geez, I mean, it's four or five times the price. Pedal LY says, for the pedal jar, (laughs) I need a pedal jar. I'm actually building three pedal boards right now. Um, uh, for a project. I think I've been tell- talking about this guys for weeks. It's been like kind of re- rediscovering pedals for me again. Thunder Falcon says, will you review the boss GX 100? Um, I can, you know, if I get an opportunity to do it, yes. But I mean, like I said, you know, you know, uh, as for when it comes to boss boss is not one of the companies that sends stuff out to the channel. I don't have a relationship with those guys. We'll see. I could always bump into them and meet them somewhere. Or this, that could always happen. Or, like I said, I might have an opportunity to review one. Stuff like that, you got to spend some time with. So it's a little hard to, like, you know, I can borrow my buddies for two weeks. It's a little tough. Um, stuff like that. I mean, I don't want to just do a, like, a, okay, let's open it up out of the thing and see how it sounds. But I've heard really good things about it. Hold on a second. 
Okay, and the last super chat is going to be Steven. So let's get some, please, let's uh, finish up the thing. Cat, I have no idea. Caddy Goodspeed. <laughs> I think that's Caddy Goodspeed. Hey, Phil, I took your advice and I ordered a ESP LTD PF Baritone seven string. My question is your thoughts on ESP. I like ESP. I feel like I don't hear you talk about them much. Yeah, I, I look, I like ESP. I can tell you there's there's brands like them, um, ESP LTD, where I've had them on the channel. I have no working relationship with the ESP LTD. Uh, the company's run by a guy named Jeff. I hear he's a really good dude. I've never met him. I hear nothing but good things from people who know him. I have nothing but respect for the company. Um, when I did an AMS video once, that's the first thing I said was, can we do an ESP LTD? And they did the Eclipse. And... Uh, and then I bought the, uh, or they did the E2, sorry, they sent an E2. I bought an LTD and put it on the channel. And uh, so, yeah, I, I put them on the channel when I can. Uh, me personally, like owning one, I don't own one right now. But the main reason I don't own one is, is I haven't found one that I liked. So that's the trick. Uh, you'll notice, like, for me, if I have a guitar, it's easy because I already have the guitar. Or... Sometimes I stumble across guitars, but I've been looking for a good LTD that I like. I just haven't found one I like. And before anyone says anything like they're going to send me links, that's what I'm talking about. I know I can buy one online. I'm talking about like a lot of guitars I don't just buy online. I kind of bump into them and go, oh, I like this guitar. So it's just, but yeah, I love LTD ESP. I'd love to have more on the channel. If I could, if I could get a relationship with them to send some guitars out, I would do way more videos, but they like to do, uh, to, to their credit, they like to work with just a couple channels. Uh, they do Agafish, they do the Tone King. They might do one or two more, and they like who they work with. And um, so I understand that. Me, personally, I always kind of find that strange with companies. You know, they're like, why wouldn't you just get more marketing? <laughs> it's only going to benefit you is how I look at it. There's no cheaper marketing than what all these channels have created. So... I don't, I don't understand it when they don't do it, but you know, I also respect the fact that they just like who, working with who they work with. Uh, Doug says, Hey Phil, any thoughts on David Grissom basically letting the cat out of the bag on the possible upcoming SEDGT from PRS? Uh, any ideas what it should focus on? Next shape, pickups, big frets, PRS, we need an SEDGT. Um, uh, okay, so what's the question? The question, uh, it's, I think Doug's just telling us. Like, obviously, Doug Grissom let another bag. Yeah, um, I don't think it's a... Uh, I guess the, I'm stumped because I'm like, I guess the question is, what do I think of him basically letting the cat out of the bag? Well, I don't think it matters. <laughs> um, because I, I've said this for years. The artists all kind of do this. Like, Trani let his amp out of the bag and there's no amp. Um, I can tell you this is uh, better than telling you that what because what David Grissom did is like kind of what Tremonti did on the interview I did with him is they go oh yeah we have a product and we're working on it but you don't understand like they're in prototype stage now let me tell you what I know I know they're working on the guitar <laughs> I know that's one of the reasons that uh, Jack Higginbotham was in uh, when he when I did my last podcast with him he was in Indonesia in the Court Tech factory. That was one of the guitars they were working on is the David Grissom guitar from the Cortec factory. So, um, and, um, so my point is it's probably going to be next year is when the guitar comes out. Cause they're working on it right now. They're prototyping it, um, and back and forth. So I think it's cool. 
I'm sure it'll be great because the last couple of SEs, and I, I really liked what Jack's doing with the SEs. I think it's, I think he's killing it. I think he's got the right idea to make the guitars the best they can be and be their own kind of brand. You know what I mean? Uh, instead of being like an affordable version of a PRS to be their own thing. I think that's where I think they're going with it, which is good. And um, if I was going to guess in a time frame, it'd be next year. Just because, like I said, if you think about it, when I did that video with him two weeks ago, he was in Indonesia and they were just talking about how the process is going to work. So maybe they can get it done in six months and it's just mid-year. So either way, it's going to be a little bit. But I think it's cool. Uh, obviously, I would be shocked to see that there wasn't isn't one on the channel. Um, the relationship I have with the PRS SE side is really good. Uh, obviously, uh, they're really cool at making sure we get stuff on the channel. Uh, guitars so i don't even have to ask they usually will reach out and say hey we have some new stuff coming out would you like to put it on the channel absolutely in fact that's how it works for pretty much any of the companies i reach out would you like to put this on the channel sure of course who doesn't want to put more guitars on the channel so it's very very rare when i say no unless like i said the only time i say no is if i don't think you guys don't want it at all or i think we've just like we've had a little bit too much like we've had too many of those products too too in too short a period of time Jeff says, is anyone, no, has someone who just dinged their silver sky, <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, buddy. Uh, it says, do you think PRS would ever offer relic guitars? They've experimented, I guess, recently with, or, you know, as what I heard, they did a couple of relic guitars. I wish they would do relic guitars. By the way, I only laugh, Jeff, because I just dinged my silver sky. <laughs> uh, yep, same thing. I just dinged it in the corner. I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. I say Justin was like two weeks ago. I'm like looking at it now. It's a little ding. And I was like, oh, man. Um, you know, look, the Silver Skies, the new ones, if you have the new, new one, the cores, they're actually slacker. So they'll get dinged and, and aged. And I wish PRS would do more relicking. Why? Not because I want a relic PRS, but because kind of what Jeff's saying. If they relic the stuff, then when yours gets dinged and nicked and no one cares. I think the greatest thing PRS or, or Fender and Gibson ever did was relicking. If you don't like relicking, good. <laughs> what I noticed, what I can tell you is there was a time where someone would bring in an American Strat for trade and it would have a nick or ding in it. And you go, oh, I can give you six. Oh, it's got a ding. I could do 450. Like literally just would tank some of the value. Now, eh, who cares if a guitar is ninged and nicked and dinged. Um, but PRS, certain brands like PRS, if when they're nicked and dinged, it just hurts the value so bad because they're not known for it. So people look at that and it's bad. But Jeff, I can tell you this. We're Kendrick Spirits. We both think they're PRS Silver Sky. I was pretty bummed too, by the way. I was really distraught for about an hour and a half. I just sat there and going, man, I can't believe I did this. <laughs> uh, and uh, mine, the way I did it was so dumb. <laughs> I should have known better. Um. Uh, Todd, Todd, oh, eight, six, four says, Hey, Phil, I never accepted your free treble boost circuit would, would take a blue strat instead. <laughs> that would be, uh, that would be, a, a. I don't know if I could get that past the wife. I'd have to, cause that's, that's how it works. By the way, when everything gets sent out, I just give her a list of things that have to go out. And I'm sure that's, and I get questions all the time. She's like, you know, this is going to Amsterdam and it costs $86. And I go, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and she'll go, oh, Art, did you know you're sending this person two of these? And I'm like, yes, I, I know that. Um, 
or do you really did you want this one instead of that one? So I get these questions, and I know I can already tell. Like it'll be like, um, do you know you're sitting this person who won a trouble bleed, a pirat or a Fender's America Strat? I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> and then she she'll like she'll tell me no. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Sometimes I don't think she says no. She just always like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, do whatever that is. So Todd, I don't think it's going to happen. One, not going to do it. But two, I don't think I get it approved. <laughs> Gravedigger Dale, thank you for the, uh, the, uh, thank you. It's a thank you. It's like the, it reminds me of the, um, the gopher from Caddyshack. I don't know if you guys get to see what I get to see, but it looks cool. Steven Parker says thoughts on the new, on the not the new on the fender 68 custom pro reverb i'm a fan of the 68 series of fender amps i like them i've always liked them obviously i have the princeton i used to have uh i used to have the deluxe 65 deluxe 68 deluxe reverb i liked it and i also had the 68 vibralux which i liked uh, i like the 68 series i just like them so i haven't tried the 68 custom pro but i would imagine i like it because i like the other ones uh, MK, MP Kramer says, Hey Phil, what are your favorite set of humbuckers for your SG and for, for a four string bass? Okay. Uh, that's a tough question. Here's why it's a tough question. I'm going to tell you two things and I hope you understand what I'm about to say to you. <laughs> you said my SG. So let me tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, of uh, of SGs, like whether they're Gibsons or Epiphones, my favorite set of Gibson pickups in the SG is the 57 Classics. I like those pickups in the SG. My personal SG has Northern Lights because that's why the SG isn't in videos anymore. Um, it's because I took out the pickups and put my pickups in it. Once I put the pickups that I use in the guitars, I don't tend to put them in the videos anymore <laughs> because I want you to, again, have reference of something you guys have reference of. So I try not to do it very often. Um, so there you go. That's what's in my SG. Uh, four string bass. Hmm. What pickups do I use for a four string bass? Uh, well, I like Bartolini's. I have Bartolini's in one of my four string bases. And the other I use are the, um, I can't think of the name. The DiMarzio Billy Sheehan pickups called somethings. I can't think of what they're called, but that's what I have in my base. But I mean, this question is tough. Here's why. I actually have a prototype set of base pickups that I'm not, not mine, uh, another company's, but, uh, but I'm not allowed to share that with you guys yet. But soon, as soon as I share those with you, then you'll see that's what my absolute favorite is. But the Billy Sheenan pickups are probably, Sheehan pickups, Sheehan pickups are probably the ones I use the most. I'm looking, um, when it comes to bass, I, I play my basses a lot. And so they're pretty much, like I said, I have either Bartolini's in one or I have the DiMarzio's in the other. Those are the ones I use. And then Ron Hayes uh, did a super chat for no reason. <laughs> I can always say, I've got to stop saying that for no reason. To say, obviously to say thank you or to say hi or all the above. Okay. We did good. We went a little long. Relentless. Thank you, Tessie Switch. They're the Relentless pickups. I'm having trouble remembering that because there's a there's a newer version of those pickups out, and I have those as well, too. And they're really cool. Uh, somebody said, DiMargio BS. <laughs> Billy Sheenan. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. 
Um, and uh, I love, so you know, I, I should tell it too. Why I like the route the relentless pickups is I like the shape. Uh, that's what I think is amazing. I think that was the greatest idea I've ever seen. Carving, carving the pickups so that they run the radius and they feel good. Uh, Lee wants to know, and then we'll go we'll in with this. What is what are your Northern Lights comparable to? Simple, they're just PAF pickups, just wound just a little bit more, so they punch a little bit. So what happens is is that I, I've said this before. This is why, like I said. Making them mass produced right now is just not something I can do. I don't have the ability to do it myself, and like working with companies has been a little tricky. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say over the years, all the PAFs I've tried, every once in a while, I have a PAF pickup style pickup that kicks. It just, and I don't care what it is, you can name any of the brands. All of a sudden, you're just like, man, this sounds really good. And to the point where I started getting really obsessive years ago about finding them, <laughs> which is why I have so many damn pickups. I have like a pickup. As you guys know, I have a lot of pickups, but I have a lot of, like I have a pickup graveyard where it's just all these pickups that I've just found trying to figure out what it, what it is. And I do crazy stuff all the time. I just bought a crazy pickup last night. I bought a 1970, uh, 19, early 1970s, uh, just uh, super distortion pickup in cream. Uh, I think it's a 76 is what I, uh, I think I just bought. And the guy wanted 150 and I offered him 125 and he took it. And again, cause I want it cause I have a couple other versions of the super distortion throughout the years and there's things I want. I'm just curious about them. And, um, so what happened was as I found these pickups, I would start searching for them. And then over time I would wind a couple pickups here and there and then go, okay, I think I think I know what they're doing here and I think I know the sweet spot. And it's what happens is you just you do it through when you wind the pickups, what ends up happening is at the end of it, you test it and you go, this is close. And then I have a chart that tells me like this is how many winds it was, this is the wire I used, this is what I did, this is the magnet I used. Then I do it again. And then it's just like anybody else. It's just R and D. And then eventually you get to one and you go, okay, this is the one. This is it. And then I go, I just got to replicate that every time. <laughs> How I'm doing it now is horrible. Uh, if you guys haven't seen, as some of you guys have bought pickups, understand. How I'm doing it now is I'm making a bunch, testing them, and then sending you guys the ones that I think are the right ones, which are called match sets. I'm matching them up. I'm finding the ones and sending them out to you, uh, which is what are in my guitars too. And so I have essentially ones that I, I was disassembling them and reusing them again, but right now I just have, again, let's just say, uh, we're, there's some discussion and uh, we'll end on this note. You guys can probably help with this as part of the community of what to do with, these aren't failures. They're not, they're not B stock. They're not bad pickups. They're just the ones that I don't think are the sweet spot pickups. So I thought about not, you know, naming them something else <laughs> and be like, that's what they are. They're just, and then selling them for less money and be like, okay, here's my, here's a Northern lights pickup. And then here's the one that's like, I didn't think hit the sweet spot, but it's still a good pickup. It's still a good PAF style pickup. I don't know. There you go. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So, all right. 
All right. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with me today. It was great. Um, and uh, thank you guys for all the new channel members. A lot of you guys this week. It was really cool. And, of course, thank you to the patrons. Thank you guys to the who subscribe. Thank you guys who join and hang out and put comments. Anyone who gives a thumbs up. All of that supports the channel. And more importantly, it just motivates me. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Sean Brooks says, sell them as Southern Lights. That's a great idea. I almost feel horrible taking that idea because that's such a good idea. But if, trust me, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way now. Um, all right. On that note, thank you guys so much. Till the next, till next Friday, uh, I'll say know your gear. Know your gear.